Welcome to the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast with your host, hailing from Kakana, Wisconsin, riding a CST Tires SSI decals traveling back Yamaha YFC 450R, four-time ATV Motocross National Champion, number 25. Cody Jensen. What's up, everybody? We're back. Welcome to the latest edition of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, episode 100, a monumental one for us of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, presented by our title sponsor, CST Tires, in stock and available for purchase today at shop.csttires.com. I'm your host, Cody Jansen, saying hello to our more than 191,000 monthly Digging Deep listeners in all 100 countries in which you are listening. Yes, we just crossed that threshold and lockstep with our Century Mark episode, and this is our best of Digging Deep in 2022 show. Doing something extra special for episode 100 has been my plan for months. Originally, my thought was to bring in one of the few former ATV Motocross Series champions that we've yet to have join us here on the show. And that list is very small, but when I couldn't get a commitment from those legends, we had no choice but to go in another direction. Side note here, I'm not giving up on those guys. The Jeremiah Jones and Tim Farr episodes will happen. I'm confident about that. Now is just not the time. But then it hit me. We've been counting down our top 10 most listed listen to episodes of 2022 on our social media channels and then it hit me we've done some really cool stuff this year episodes and conversations that we're so very proud of and with this being our 100th episode and coming right here at the end of the calendar year a best of digging deep 2022 episode became a no-brainer our top 10 countdown included guests such as Clay Milliken, Shane Hitt, Nick DeNoble, Dana Creech, Cody Gibson, and more. And you can bet you'll hear our favorite clips from those conversations in the episode ahead. Re-listening to these episodes was so much freaking fun. You're going to absolutely adore the season-ending episode of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. With that, let's quickly shout out all of our incredible partners. CST Tires, go to shop.csttires.com today. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, thanks to SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Nimira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV components, Impact Solutions, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, the financial advice of the Haymar Financial Group, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Factory 43, Binkies Forever ATC Museum, Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant, Walsh Racecraft, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. A perfect gift for the holidays, Manscaped's signature line, the performance Package 4.0 includes the new Lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer that I rely on to help keep my beard on point, the best nose hair trimmer ever created, and an array of goodies like deodorant, boxer briefs, a travel bag, and more. So check out Manscaped. I wish I would have sooner. And get 20% off with free shipping by using code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. I say it every week. It's so rad that Manscaped is investing in ATV racing as a longtime partner of Digging Deep. Help us keep them in the fold and involved in ATV racing by using our our digging deep 20 code so they know you enjoy digging deep and what we're all about here support all these great companies that support us and for any products that fall through the cracks click that rocky mountain atvmc banner on our website to help us out the 2023 season will be here before we know it and we both know you 
need parts and gear. No matter what off-road gear parts you need, Rocky Mountain ATVMC has you covered. But before you buy, simply click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website. By using our specific link, we get a percentage of what you buy on the back end, enabling you to help us out while purchasing the parts you need anyway. And did you know you can buy OEM parts from Rocky Mountain ATVMC as well? Yep, shipped conveniently right to your door. So click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner at diggingdeepatvmx.com to help us out while satisfying all your gear and parts needs. No new donors to shout out this week, but we do want to take a moment to shout out all of our monthly donation subscribers. Starting with Holly Trimble and the Trimble family, words can't describe our gratitude for the support from this great family. Racers turned moto parents, we have so much love for you guys. Also, thank you to Rob Bumsteiger, Justin Branham, and Casey Otis for their continued support of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. And lastly, we want to thank 99 Racing, Ed Hayden, and Justin Burke for their subscriptions earlier this year. Your support is and was so very appreciated. If you are interested in donating and hearing your name on the show, you can find the Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee donation buttons on our website. Major thanks to all who have donated. You guys freaking rock. Now it's showtime. The 30-second board is up, it's sideways, and the gate is down. Time to dig deep. Let's go. All right, guys, kicking things off is some clips from one of our favorite episodes ever. Episode 80 featured six-time top fuel drag racer Clay Milliken telling his late son's story, former AMA ATV pro Dalton Milliken. The stories and memories shared in this episode brought us from laughs to tears and everywhere in between. It's some of the greatest content we've ever created. Enjoy some of our favorite clips from our 80th episode in loving memory of Dalton Milliken. in the making. Dalton, I miss you, but I knew you were riding with me today, buddy. That little man rides with me everywhere I go. Stop on that loud pedal, buddy. It's funny how the ATB motocross family can make this world feel so small, right? I mean, our sport isn't that big, but it connects so many people and so many different, you know, backgrounds and stuff like we just touched on. And that's why we're here, isn't it? ATVs and ATV racing will always hold a special place in your heart. Oh, hundred percent. No doubt about it. You know, it's uh, completely, you know, all on Dalton because it certainly was not my thing. I mean, from the time I could go to, get behind the wheel of a, a car it wasn't really a race car when I started but you know that was that was all I ever thought of was going fast you know and uh, Dalton for whatever reason he always seemed to have older friends his friends were all older so nobody he, he just didn't really hang out with with kids his age okay and there was a group of, of kids I mean they were older than him but there were a group of kids that were you know, kind of into the freestyle thing, you know, these, these, okay. these guys, they, you know, all the, the wavos and all the, you know, all the jumping and, you know, all that, all that sort of stuff. And okay. I don't even really know how it come about, but somehow, some way. So Dalton has an older brother named, named Kale, named after Kale Yarbrough, the NASCAR driver, by the oh, way. Okay. Um, Legend. That, yes. You know, they, Dalton essentially convinced me and we bought two 300 Hondas, you know, the manual, sh you know, manual shift, you know, yeah. just, 
two to 300, 300 EXs. Yep. 300 EXs, exactly. And I mean, when I was a kid, I had a three-wheeler. I never raced, but I had a three-wheeler. We, we lived near the Mississippi River. I guess I need to back up. So we lived near the Mississippi River. We got a lot of good places to ride, you know, and, and this group of, of kids that I'm talking about that Dalton hung, hung out with, one of them's name is Logan Tate, and his parents own a, a pretty large amount of land on a creek that runs into the Mississippi River. And so they always had these, these good riding spots. And, uh, you know, they eventually ended up with a freestyle ramp and a big pile of dirt. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that was kind of the start of our four wheelers. And okay. Dalton's path to four wheeler racing is probably unlike most kids. Uh, you know, we didn't start on the little quads. We didn't do any of that stuff. We didn't even know anything about ATV racing at all. Okay. But uh, I don't want to mess up any of your questions. I'm kind of no, no, no. You're good. I yeah. so so where I was going to go with that is, you know, Dalton was a mainstay on, on the national scene for a number of years there, and yeah, like we can dive right into his story. I was going to ask, you know, how you know, so it's. Um, it's cool how you're still connected to the sport to this day. Um, I guess even almost backing up before that. So the reason why I wanted to get you on and I invited you on when I asked you to come on was, and, and again, frankly, I didn't know if you were going to want to do it. I know obviously you're a busy guy, but you posted a photo of one of Dalton's old quads on your Instagram and you captioned it every now and then. Uh, you know, it does a fella some good to ride a good running quad that sure brought a smile to my face to see, you know, that that thing was obviously up and running and, you know, alive and well. Um, and I was going to ask you before we got into all that story, how often you get a chance to do that? Uh, a day like today would be a good day. So there's a story on that particular quad. So, I mean, you know, obviously, and we'll get into all this stuff. At, at one point we had a lot of quads, you know, okay. I mean, we had, I don't know, we typically kept I'm going to say three to four all the time. That's, that's what we did. And so that particular quad was the, and I don't want to really mess up our story, but how we get there, but that particular quad, he won the 2011, you know, 458 yep. championship. Yep. Well, it went from a race bike to a practice bike and it got beat to death. You know what I mean? It just, you As know, they how, do. everybody As out they do. there knows practice yep. bikes get freaking hammered mm -hmm. and, and I want to say this real quick. People always had this, and they still do somewhat. They have this perception that because I race and you can watch me on TV, that I'm this wealthy person. I'm not. I mean, we uh, we ran stuff that Dalton probably shouldn't be running. We, you know, we just kept repairing it and fixing it and whatever. But but that bike got beat to death. And when we sold everything, I kept that chassis and for some unknown weird reason, we have a shed out back. We call it Donna She Shed. It's where the lawnmowers and stuff. It has <laughs> okay. an attic in it. Okay. And in that attic was the plastic from the year he won the championship. It's beat up. It's melted. It's, you know, hammered. Yeah. But it is the exact plastic with the same wash, uh, bandana style looking, you know, decals yep. on it. The SSI decals. Yep. And one winter during the off season, I had kept telling everybody I was just going to hang that in my shop. I have a shop behind the house back here. It's not the race car shop, but all I wanted to do was hang that bike up. He won the championship on it. Mm -hmm. Well, 
I had one motor that was super fast and, and we'll, we can get into some of that too. Yeah. That when I sold everything, I kept that motor put aside. I had a really nice set of custom axis shocks I had kind of put aside and then I never intended for that bike to run. Okay. But I got bored during the winter time and I'm like, you know what? I got the motor. I, I got a set of shocks. Well, the, the next thing you know, this thing is running. And uh, <laughs> so every, you know, once every couple months, I would say, okay. I, I crank this thing up and, and I ride it around the neighborhood and uh, I don't take it out in the dirt. Again, mm -hmm. I could run down to Sugar Creek. It's right down the road and I could ride it, but I've got side by sides and, and I do have a job I have to do. So I don't need to break anything. Right. And I've got a great story about that with the 300 EXs that I, I will tell. Okay. Uh, so it's super fast. This bike I'm telling you is ridiculously fast. Uh, I'm a drag racer. I, I, I love horsepower. And yep. so it has a 72 horsepower engine in it. So, I mean, it is, she rips. It, it rips. And, <laughs> and this is kind of a side note because I think when I posted that it has a set of TT tires on it, the mm -hmm. bikes, the way it sets right now. So Daryl Rath, everybody knows Rath racing, you know, the, provides Nerf bars and a lot of cool stuff, you know, Chad Ween and still runs them to this day. A lot of us. Do. I, yeah. A lot of people, you know, uh, I saw Daryl, he came to the race in Brainerd, Minnesota. And, and I, I had said something about, I got that bike running and I said, you know, I'm killing the tires on it. Cause all I do is ride it in the neighborhood up and down the road and on the asphalt. And okay. I get home from a race. There's a couple of giant boxes here at the house. Daryl sent me rims and tires for that thing. He said, here you go. Here's your set of tires to run up and down the street with. So that's oh, where the wow. brand new wheels and tires. That guy just sent them to me for that bike. So that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That, that did stand out to me. I assumed you must've been staying on the asphalt because yes, I saw the TT tires and wheels on there. So yeah. um, I'm assuming that you were, you were staying off the dirt, uh, but yeah. that's awesome. That that's it. Like I said, it made me smile because you were enjoying, you know, what we all enjoy, you yeah. know, like I just uh, liked to see that. It literally was a clutch promoto, uh, which brings <laughs> up another name that uh, become, you know, one of my dearest friends and that's Wayne Henson. Okay. Um, yep. And yep. You, you talked about the wash decal on my helmet to this day, there's still the Henson H is on the front of my helmet. Uh -huh. um, yep. I was going to talk about that too, but uh, yeah, that those clutches smell up the shop real quick. Yes. It's potent. Yes. And it didn't matter if we did an arena cross race after one <laughs> moto, I was putting a clutch in, you know, it, oh, that's Travis's God. fault. Uh, hey, I had that problem when I was younger too. And dad said, Hey, um, we're going to have to quit. We're going to have to take out a loan because I can't afford to be putting these clutches in after every moto. So I had to figure it out. Oh man. We learned again, having the race team, you know, I, I had access to some bills and lathes or whatever. And yeah, we built a tool for uh, flattening back out the steels for the clutches and okay know what the measurements were. I knew what I could get away with. That part was like drag racing. I understand how thick a clutch plate needs of to course. be. Yeah. So, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, a surface table for checking. So I was able to reuse some of this stuff, but we <laughs> did spend a lot of money on clutch parts and thank goodness Wayne Henson took pity on me and helped me out. As much <laughs> as I, I didn't get a lot. I don't want people to think Wayne was sending me everything I needed. He wasn't, he would, right. but he was definitely helping us out. 
Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, so, okay. So getting back to the story. So Oh nine, he, he jumps up to the a class there. And then by 2010, he's competitive in the a class. He finished third and fourth in the national championship that season. I'm assuming, you know, he's, he's riding with these faster guys and I'm assuming eventually that just, that just paid off. He became one of those faster guys by riding with those fast guys on the mm-hmm. regular. And I, I guess I didn't necessarily, I should have remembered the Travis Moore part, but I knew that he was connected with Joe bird and some of those fast guys down by you in that Tennessee area. I just remember being part of that kind of pack, you know, and that makes sense that eventually, you know, he was able to, to, I mean, pretty quickly when you think, you know, he's in the C-class in 2007 and, you know, dabbling in C-class in 2008 yet um, jumps up to the baptized by fire, I guess, in the, in the A-class in 2009. And then by 2010, he's, he's right in the mix. When it came to starts though, kind of where I was headed that we would argue over like bike setup or what motor we run, stuff like that. Okay. I a hundred percent thought I knew better and I, and I really didn't. But I also would pick up the phone and call Wayne Henson or Mike Walsh, where Dalton wasn't going to do that. You know, he was like, oh, I'm not calling Wayne Henson. You know, that that guy's a legend. It's very similar in the fact that my parents went all in on my racing as well. And I am so grateful for that. Not only did I get to do it for a long, long time, but to be able to share those memories with my parents and my family, my little brother being with us, like that's what matters to me. The very, very most of it all is sharing those memories with my family, traveling the country, all that stuff, because how many kids get to 18 years old or whatever, and they move out or do whatever they want to do. And they spend all their time with their friends and their buddies and whatever. And yeah, like we all had a bunch of that too, but to be able to be with your family doing that, I just think that's so invaluable about our sport and and racing in general. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, but anyway, I got to tell the story of his first a class win, and, and I'm almost positive it was 2010 at Loretta Lands. Please do, yeah. Um, so I was on an airplane coming home. Jeff Maxey mentioned, done mentioned him a lot. Jeff was there helping. It was him, Jeff, and Donna, and he won Moto One, I do believe. And they had a huge rainstorm. And all I know is before I get on the airplane, I find out that it had rained and there were. Jeff was trying to decide, am I going to put big tires on or not? That was, that was like the last thing I knew. That's always the, that's always the debate we have in ATV motocross, you know, is it, is it muddy enough? Yes. You know, so uh, I'm on the airplane and and I am freaking nervous dad. I'm like, oh my goodness, he may can win Loretta Lens, you know, and Last phone call, literally like on the runway, you know, they cut your phones off there. They were way worse about it back then than they yes. are now. But yes, last thing I know is Jeff can't decide whether to put big tires on or, or not. And uh, so when the plane gets out of the clouds and I feel safe enough to not get in trouble, I turn my phone on and I'm just staring at my phone, waiting for a voicemail to pop up. Okay. You know? Yep. Yeah. Cause, cause at that time, you know, we couldn't like access the internet as easy on our right. phones and stuff. Exactly. Back then. There was no access on exactly. the plane, you know, you, right. you, were, you read a book or a magazine that's in the back of the plane, you know? Right. So we, we touched down or we're getting close to touching down voicemail pops up and it's a lot of them actually. So I'm okay. like, this is either really good or really bad. Yeah. And I go right to, to, Jeff Maxey's voicemail and all it said is he effing won. 
And so I got the phone to my ear and you got to picture this, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sitting on an airplane and I probably could not be still on the whole flight. I got this little lady that looks like everyone's picture perfect grandmother sitting beside me. Okay. So I put the phone to my ear and all I get is we effing one. And I literally like, yes, put my hands up and you know, the whole airplane is like staring at me and this little grandmother <laughs> You know, puts her hand on my leg or my shoulder or whatever. And she's like, son, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, ma'am. My kid just won Loretta Lynn's. You know, oh, so wow. that, that's a pretty dang good memory. And I wasn't even there. Right. You know? But that was so freaking cool. But you can picture exactly where you were and exactly yeah. that emotion. And as, as you were telling the story, I was able to verify your date. That was correct. I wanted to see like who he was racing at the time. So Stefan Schenk was, yep. was got second to him that day. Yep. yep. And, uh, and James Murrah, I remember that name, Tim Detling was in there, Cody cop. So, uh, definitely some names, but he went one, one on the weekend there, got the overall at Loretta's and that has to, I, in my mind, the first thing I thought of when I saw that, when I saw that win, when I was looking up some of my stuff earlier, um, some of my info here for this was it, it's gotta be cool to win in at Loretta's for, I mean, obviously winning at Loretta's is cool, but to win close to home, I mean, that's a, a race close to home for you guys. That's gotta be, that's gotta be extra cool too. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you know, he also, like I say, got to ride at Joe's quite a bit after the school, you know, yeah. we, we were able for him to go up there and ride. And, and, you know, Joe was obviously known for doing very well at, at Loretta's, you know, he had a 10 pack at his house, kind of, the, right. you know, the 10 commandments and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and the heat, the Tennessee heat, you know, Dalton is, was raised in that, born in that. And so, yeah, we're not cut out for that up here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, those Joe Bird pushups in the attic, you know, paid off, you know, yeah. that's, oh my gosh. that's for sure. But I don't know what it was, you know, he, he did really well at Loretta's and also had, I'm going to say more emergency room visits from Loretta's than any other racetrack. And we had a lot of them. I've yeah, heard that but from so many people that it's like Loretta's, I just can't, you know, can't catch a break there, always get hurt there. So many people, even on the show here, have told me that, which is so funny because you look at the track and it's not it's like, track. yeah, it's nothing like what any of the other tracks are like even. Yeah. Yeah. It's mellow. You know, which we had a lot of our emergency room visit. Dalton was wide open. Like mm -hmm. that's, he, he had zero fear. He wanted to be the, you know, the first kid to go out and, and hit the jumps and what yeah. have you, you know, that was just the way it was. But again, that kind of goes back to what I told you that he was around these kids that liked the freestyle stuff. So he, he had, he had a lot of jumping experience, you know, and uh, yeah. I got to tell a story that has nothing to do with ATV motor. Please, please. I, I told you, I told you, you got to jump in there and, and let it out when it's on your mind. Yeah. So we're at Sugar Creek and they've got this, this little narrow rickety freestyle ramp to a big pile of sand, dirt, whatever. And, okay. and Dalton can barely kickstart his 450. And, and these kids, a couple of them were, a couple of them were hitting this freestyle ramp and Dalton kind of, you know, like did the evil Knievel thing, rode up the ramp and pulled the clutch in, rolled back down. He did that a couple of times. And okay. I'm sitting over off to the side with, with some older guys, you know, they might've had a beer or 10 in them, you know, <laughs> and uh, they don't know that's my kid, you know, he's out there with a helmet on all that sort of stuff. And, right. and uh, this guy says, and, and he, we've talked since then. I, I know this guy, he says, if, if that little butthead hits this ramp, I'll kiss 
his rear, you know. <laughs> okay. And I knew Dalton was fixing to do it. He had never done it before, but he had been wanting to, wanting to, wanting to. Sure enough, he hits it. Sure enough, he crashes on the landing. Oh my gosh, okay. Uh, broke a tooth, think he broke his nose, but he was pumped. Like it wasn't crying, bawling, I'm, I'm hurt, you know, whatever. He did it. He's bleeding and he rolls over to me and like, you know, he's pumped up and I'm like, you got to hit it again before we leave. Cause I knew we had to go to the emergency room. Sure enough, he goes back, hits it, lands it perfectly. And we left and went and got his nose looked at and, you know, a tooth right. from and all that sort of stuff. That's but, what you got to do though. Right. I remember my dad saying the same thing. If you crash on it, you got to get up and do it right away because otherwise it's going to be in your head. You're not going to want to do it when you come back. Yep. But we had a lot of emergency room visits at Loretta's. Uh, so one in particular, I don't remember what class this was. I feel like it was C class, but he gets knocked out. He, he crashes in, in the in the Ten Commandments, gets knocked out. You know, they're, they're like, he's, he's got to go to the emergency room because he was out for, you know, 15, 20, 30 seconds for a little while. Okay. And uh, I don't know what it was with him, but if he got knocked out, when he started waking up, he knew nothing but curse words. That's all he knew. <laughs> Loudly. It's like, those, uh, it's like those videos you see on the internet of people coming <laughs> in and out of anesthesia. Yes. <laughs> so the, the guy, the family that owned my top fuel car that I drove for came to that race to watch him. Okay. And this lady is so awesome. Her name's Lauren Pickens. She's so awesome a very religious, very, very religious church going lady. And all that was coming out of Dalton's mouth was the F word. Oh, that was no. it. And uh, this, to the point that the ambulance crew was like, you need to calm him down. I'm like, he's out of his head right now. I'm sorry, you know? Right. So we get to the little emergency room there at Waverly. I think it's Waver Waverly. Is it is Waverly. Yep, it is yeah. Waverly. Everybody can picture it because that's <laughs> as you go into Waverly to, you know, go to the grocery store to go to Walmart or whatever, you pass by it up on the hill there. And you think yep. how many great racers were in that little, little <laughs> hospital at one time. Yeah. So, you know, he's in the back back there, you know, and, and you can hear him out in the waiting room. <laughs> And I'm sitting out there, you know, as Donna's in the back with Dalton and, and I'm like so embarrassed sitting there with, with Lauren Pickens again, you know, she's literally this awesome church lady, you know, church going lady. Yeah. And uh, finally they actually come out and get me and they're like, can you come back here? And, and he just won't stop. So I, and they got his head taped down cause they're, you know, they're x-ray and everything, whatever. Cause he'd right. got knocked down. Yeah. He had a broke collarbone, which was why he was really screaming. Cause we all know collarbones hurt like a, a booger, you I know, do. Yep. He, he broke it pretty good. You know, it wasn't like stuck out of the skin, but it was definitely poking out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I literally get nose to nose with him and tell him if he says one more cuss word, I was going to knock him back out, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, in the dad voice, we all know that dad voice. You can remember Stern. your dad's voice. You know, oh yeah. For, yep. And uh, so that kind of, kind of, kind of brought him back down a little bit, but Did it uh, work? Yeah, Loretta's, Loretta's is awesome. I love that place. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. the, the airplane story was one of my favorites though. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. even see him win. That's awesome. Um, actually not that long ago, I saw on your Instagram, you posted a picture of one of like the banners outside of Loretta's like on the, that main stretch yep. there. And yep. I'm assuming, you know, whenever you're in that area, it probably takes you back right to these stories uh, of being oh, yeah. on the airplane and picturing what, it, what that must've been like to be there. 
Yep. Yep. I, uh, you know, I go by that exit driving, you know, when I'm headed places and yeah, that very picture I pulled in, I didn't need anything. I just pulled in, we'll take a picture. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's just awesome. Cost. Yeah. That's awesome. I would uh, assume, go ahead. Don't go let ahead. me forget once we get a little further into Dalton's riding, I have an, another Loretta story, but I'll kind of mess up where we're headed if I tell okay. it right. Okay. Well, <laughs> so, so, and yes, yes, we won't let you forget that. Um, I would assume that that win to finish 2010, to end 2010 with a win at Loretta's. And obviously that's, you know, that's the benchmark. That's the, that's the best place to win in, in the sport to win to end 2010, I have to believe that that was like a catapult or a springboard for 2011 then, because his 2011 year was a storybook year for him, you know, winning that 450A national championship, finishing second to his buddy, our buddy, Tyler Hamrick in, in production A. Um, I have to believe that that was a, you know, a special year, a special season for that whole family, for your whole family. I'm not going to forget that Loretta story that I told you I had to tell, and this is okay. it. Okay. Tell it. Okay. So we broke a motor and Dalton had to start and we all can picture Loretta's. Mm -hmm. he, he barely got in. We broke a motor. And so he had to start pro-am at the extreme far left side. Okay. You know how the gate is at Loretta. That is not the place you want to be at Loretta's. No, no you're a mile away. You are a mile away. So we broke a motor and that's why he, I mean, he was dead last as far away as you could get. Mm -hmm. so gate drops he is rolling from the outside and I just like put my fist up like yep it's over with he he goes in from where I'm at the gate there he goes into that first turn he's he's out front okay so I grab my little backpack I grab my my, my little pit board and I'm kind of like strutting a little bit of dad strut headed of over to the mechanics area, you know, yeah, yeah, and, uh, of course. people are patting me on the back and pointing. And I'm like, Oh yeah. From the outside. That's what my boy just did, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and a couple more people grabbed me and like pointing Dalton's on the ground over there. So yes, he got to the first corner first, but the entire pack come sliding out. Oh boy, that's what happens there. That's the scary part of Loretta's yeah. itself is that outside is so far outside that yep. that inside doesn't stay to the inside. They yeah. come slamming into the outside. Um, yep. yeah, so he got there, yeah. you know, he, he did get there and I didn't see this because, you know, you go around that hard turn there. Yeah. So uh, we were off and running on our way back to the emergency room in Waverly. <laughs> that was, I was literally just going to say that was going to be my response is Waverly, yeah. here we come again. Okay, so I want to finish out the, the career then that we're talking about. You know, we touched on Pro-Am a little bit um, because that wasn't the end of his progression, Dalton's progression as he graduated to Pro-Am in 2012. I was in the, the class with those guys at the time. That's where I had to run 25 slash all season long because Dalton had 25. <laughs> Damn it. We got we to gotta cover that too, by the way. Oh, what do we got to cover? We've got to cover that. So I got to tell the reason that Dalton was 25. Oh, please do. Yeah, please. Uh, so I know that I, I'm, people can't see this if they're listening. So there is 25s everywhere behind you back there. Mm -hmm. And the 25 is a super special number to me, obviously, because of Dalton. But yes. the reason Dalton was 25 
was, so when I started drag racing and I got my first ever NHRA license, okay. my number was 2556, four digit number 2556. Okay. So when I became a pro, I was able to remove one number. So I became 255. That was my top fuel number. Okay. So I became 255. When Dalton started motocross racing, he did that with because of me. He removed one more number. Okay. And became 25. Sure. Yeah. And how uh, cool is that to be yeah. just to go back to your I mean, and that's kind of the story we've been trying to tell is that you know, your racing and his racing, your racing today, even still connected to ATV motocross. I mean, that's the story we've been trying to tell is it's all integrated together and yeah. it's cool. I mean, everybody's got a, a, a number behind a, a reason behind the number, right? There's always yeah. a story behind the number. I remember when we started the podcast, I was in the, I was in the rhythm more of asking people why, you know, yeah. why number 44, why number 88, why, you know, about the number. So it's cool to, to hear that story behind it, that it wasn't just a number. Yep. So to finish that story and yeah. I've got a couple other things, yeah. But finished the me and Dalton 25 story. So after we lost Dalton in 2015, the NHRA gave me a permanent number, which is now 25. So really? Oh my it, gosh. It, yeah. It, uh, it went from, uh, him honored me to me honored him. Yeah. How amazing yeah. is that? I'm sorry mean, about that. I was going to uh, try to get through all this without that, but no, uh, no that's incredible. I uh -oh. mean, it's, it sure seemed like, you know, and, and, you know, I, I don't know how much, you know, I want to, I want to finish the career and I don't know how deep we want to get into that. I don't even know. No, I, 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 that just hit me. It's tough yeah. like that's just part of it. Of course. But, 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 but I want to keep on the number thing because please do. Yep, you're please involved do. in this and you don't even know it. Okay. Um, so I listened to episode number 40, where you were with your dad, which was an amazing episode. <laughs> yeah. And you told the story, you know, you're like something about uh, the 25 slash and, you know, and I always assumed that you wanted to be 25 because that was your dad's number. I knew your dad raced, you know, yeah. and I didn't, again, I'm not an AMA, ATV motocross. Right student like you are. So yes. I didn't, I thought that your dad's number was 25 mm -hmm. and I didn't realize it was 40 until yep. I listened to that episode. Yep. And your AMA number, I guess was 25 when you got, it was, it's 20, it's 25 to this day. My, when yep. I, when I got my AMA card, when I was, you know, eight years old or whatever, yep. my number was 25 and I'll let you finish the story, but I'll, I'll, you know, touch on this yeah. tangent to tell you that. Yeah. So, um, when I was a kid, I raced as number 40 because that was my dad's number and everybody wow. wants to be like their dad and your dad's always your first hero. And it got to the point where we went to a couple of races and there was another number 40 and I had to run 40 slash. Yep. And so the way it was back in the day, and I don't think that they honor it the same way anymore, but your AMA number gave you precedence that that what you would never have to run a slash. I'll be dang. So yeah. 
so I, so we, I said, Hey, I don't want to run a slash. I don't want to have to run a slash. I'm going to run my number 25. It was, I mean, you know, you love 25 like I do. Yep. So it's the, the clean, you know, symmetrical yep. look. It's perfectly balanced on the, on the number plate or on the car yep. or however you want to see it. And um, so, so yeah, that's why I did it. And then, I mean, you and I and Dalton and I are connected in that way because, you know, we were obviously 25 at the same time, but then yep. he, he went pro sooner than I did. So he so got I've the got, number 25 and I'll, maybe I'll let you finish. And then, yeah, and I'll so I've got you. a story that directly involves you and you have no clue. This okay. is, uh, I, I don't know if we had applied, I don't know. I can't remember the details, but what okay. I do remember is so I don't know about you. I don't, do you have tattoos? Do you have any tattoos? I do. Yeah. A lot okay. of them. Oh, yep. yep. A lot of them. So it's a motocross thing. Like I have zero tattoos and Dalton, you know, it's the motocross thing. And he's right. like, I want tattoos, da, da, da. like no tattoos in my house. It's not happening. Okay. And that was, that was just me, you know, and yes. Donald's like, Oh, he can get a tattoo. And I'm like, Nope, not happening. Not in my house. So when Dalton turned 18, we, he, he went to Vegas to the Vegas race with, with us. He's 18. Okay. And we're out at dinner and he's like, I want to get a tattoo. And I'm like, I, you know, the rule, no tattoos in my house. I'm 18 years old. I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm like, that's right. But you still live in my house. <laughs> okay. And so Donna is a hundred percent on his side. He's, she's like, he's 18 years old. If he wants a tattoo, he can get a tattoo. And I said, okay, y'all are overruling me. I get it. I said, but here's the deal all the tattoos you want, as long as when you have a t-shirt on, you can't, they can't they're be covered. Seen. Yep. They're covered. And he's like, well, that's BS. Why is that? I said, well, you're planning on somehow, some way making a living in the racing world. And if you show up in a boardroom wearing a nice golf shirt, I don't think they should be seen. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now that's out the window in this day and time we're talking, this is, you know, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. But still to this day, I think about the same thing. I mean, even, yep. even, so I only have tattoos on my arms yep. so that I can wear a long sleeve shirt yep. and look and nobody knows. Yep. You didn't, yep. you didn't know, you know, you didn't know. So fast forward to that, that, that same weekend, him and Don are like, we're here. We're going to Hart and Huntington and he's getting a tattoo. Okay. I'm like, okay. Like, All right just you you follow my rule though that's my rule until mm -hmm. you move out that's my rule okay so it had to be covered the the rule <laughs> had changed now as long as it as long as it could be covered we were good yeah because technically he's 18 he can do whatever he wants and he knows i'm not going to kick him out of the house he knows of, co that. of course yes yeah. yes so we go to hart and huntington and as we're you know on the way there i'm like okay what are you going to do and he's like i'm getting a number 25. okay, okay. So we get there and it's like, all right, where are you getting the number 25? I'm getting it on my side, right on my side. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we're at this fancy tattoo place and they're, you know, figuring out the font and he wants the font like Ian had picked out for number plates, you know, forever and ever. And of course. And the guy at Hart and Huntington is like, first tattoo. And he's like, yes, sir. Where you want it? I want it on my side. He's like, bad idea. That is not the first place you want to get your first ever tattoo. It hurts down there. So I get a text message and I'm pretty sure it's Harv, Harv Whipple. Okay. 
asking what number Dalton is going to run because you are trying to not run the slash on your number. Okay. And again, I know you have no idea this is going on. No, no, I have no clue. So Dalton is laying on his side. I feel like at this point they had like the, the outline done, maybe like the paper, you know, how they, they put the paper on and they kind of, the ink was there, but it wasn't a tattoo. Okay. I take a picture and send that to Harv. And he answers back, okay, I got my answer. He knew I wasn't <laughs> going to give up the 25. Right, yes. So wow. I know you have no idea about that. And so I, I have no idea. And honestly, it was such a weird time period then yeah. because if you remember, they they took away, after 2012, They everything changed because they took away one of the pro-ams because there was two pro-ams for forever. They were trying yeah. to force, I mean, pro-am had become a very, headline class and what they were trying to do is make a bunch of us go pro and i didn't feel like i was ready to go pro yet i'd only raced the nationals full time on a 450 for one year so i don't even remember to be honest with you i don't even remember when i applied for my pro license we know i went pro at the end of 2013 but i have no idea when i tried to get my number no clue i just remember i couldn't be number 25 Yep. I, I don't know. I don't remember the details. I don't remember all that stuff, but yeah, yeah. that is a connection that you don't even know about, but sure. I literally, I wish I still had the picture. I don't. Of but, course. Of course. Yeah. So, so then we are further connected though, because so then it all went, you know, it all kind of went reverted backwards for me. I couldn't be number 25. So instead of being 251 or some variation of 25, I went back to riding as number 40 and um, that was the coolest thing on the side of my, on the side of my gas tank, Ian did up like father, like son with the number 40 on it. And I ran that and it was really cool for dad. And then I, it was a couple of years later, then I was able to run number 25 again. And I felt, you know, 25 was my number. I mean, I had 25 tattooed on me and I was running 40 <laughs> on my quad, you know, I had necklace, you know, I had a gold necklace that's, or, a, you know, I shouldn't have even said gold. I mean, it is gold, but it's small, but I had a, a pennant, you know, a little number 40 that I had worn, or I'm sorry, a little number 25 that I had worn, you know, this necklace throughout that whole time, but I had worn it for 10 years, you know, and uh, I was, I was finally able to, to get back to the number 25, but I felt, you know, you know, I mean, Dalton and I were never close. You know, you guys were like, like he was, he was, you guys were national riders to me. And I didn't feel like I was a national rider. That's how I looked up to him and Tyler Hamrick. And then, you know, comes, comes full circle that Hammy and I become best friends later on. But, but it was, I felt like I was doing something special by wearing 25 after that, even though it was my number to bring the 25 back there was there was something that i felt special about that yeah so it's funny and, and man i know we're running so long and dallas is going to have to edit but <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the chain and the number 25 so dalton had a silver one okay uh that he had on the the, the night he lost his life he had it on and okay i ended up wearing that chain uh and it just i mean like within the last month it finally wore out to the point that the number the clasp that held the number to the chain had worn through okay and thank the lord i felt it fall inside my shirt oh sure yeah so i still i mean i have it and if people care to do this if they go to 
my first ever NHRA win, which was a huge, huge, massive deal. It's a heck of a story. You know, I won my first NHRA national event on Father's Day. Uh, you know, 100% dad come apart on national television. Mm-hmm. And I pull that chain out from under my Nomex underwear. Okay. And it was number 25, his number chain. 25. It's funny. You know, there's some, it's you motocross guys in your numbers <laughs> and then in the chains, you know, where right. the number. Right. Yeah. 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 I, so I don't know that this is a thing it's, and it's cool that it's so connected because I got the feeling being around drag racing a little bit that like numbers aren't a thing. Like, they are not. Right. Yeah. So then to think that, you know, it was enough of a thing for you guys that, that Dalton got number 25 from you and then to come full circle and to use, to still have this connection to that number is just really, really special. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and in your text message, you mentioned something about a special car we did. So if you look, I know you, nobody else can see it, but there's a painting right there of the top fuel car yeah. with the number 25 on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this past year, my team surprised me how they did it. I don't know. So we've talked about Ian a whole lot. I'm the decal boy at our race team. Mm-hmm. I put the decals on. Ian does the wraps, but like if there's, you know, different sponsors, different, I'm that I'm the guy. Of course. So I always know everything that's happening with my race team and SSI. Okay. They somehow, some way, uh, one of Dalton's friends from the Monster Jam world painted that car years ago, and they ended up wrapping a dragster and surprising me with it. And mm-hmm. so for one race, one time, the numbers were a big deal at an NHRA national mm-hmm. event. Yeah, you know, how cool is that? that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was one of those things I didn't even know it happened at the time because it was just last year, right? It was, it was yep. 2021. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and, I, and I've read all about it how, um, how, yeah, like, you know, you show up and it's a surprise for you that, you know, we know that Dalton's always riding with you at all of these races, but, um, you know, on that special day you show up, it, it was at Bristol, I believe. Yep. And, uh, your car is done up in the blue thunder livery, like, like Dalton's monster truck, big number 25 is on the side. I got to tell one more story and it relates to Bristol, AKA Loretta Lynn's. Okay. So- I crushed everything in the IHRA. I won more races than anybody. I won six straight world championships. I did anything and everything a person could have imagined they would want to do driving a top field dragster in their career. Okay. And I did it all in a, uh, a seven year span with the IHRA series. Okay. I couldn't do anything wrong essentially. Okay. And no matter how hard I tried, I could not win an NHRA national event. I, I was near setting the record for runner-ups. Okay. Uh, I don't even know what that number is. One of these days I'm going to, to be an old guy and I'm going to compile all this stuff and I can tell correctly these stories. And okay. I'm going to go through Dalton's career. I'm, I'm going to do all those things, but I I'm just don't retain it. Yeah, I you're, you're going to become a stats guy, but you got yeah. so much going on yet. Exactly. You know, I, I, I try to live like right now, like right now I'm here with you and that's, that's, but we're really reliving some cool things and memories are coming up. But of course, this is the biggest, most special win of my career. Again, I was near setting a record for runner ups. Uh, I had raced in the NHRA series, not full time because I was doing IHRA, but for 19 years, nobody had been to as many races as I had without a win. 
And on Father's Day, I'm at Bristol and I'm not enjoying Father's Day at all. I still have a little bit of rough time for Father's Day just because. Of course, yeah. And and Bristol does an amazing job. I've told this story over and over again. Your audience may have heard it, but you're going to hear it again right now. So um, I tried to avoid the phone. You know, I'm getting text messages, happy Father's Day. And the truth is, I didn't want to hear those. I didn't want to, I didn't want, I just didn't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. And Bristol does an amazing job with the fathers in pre-race. They put you in the back of the truck. They parade you down the racetrack. So I, I ducked out of that. I didn't do it. So I won first round. I win second round. It starts raining. So there's a delay. Yep. And when it's finally time to go, there's a crowd of people. We're trying to tow our race car through all these people. And somebody knocks on the window of our tow vehicle, let the window down and a little tiny chest protector gets stuck in the window. And I I grab my Sharpie. I have a Sharpie in the back of the seat. You know, I'm in my fire suit, so I don't have a Sharpie in my pocket. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I pull the Sharpie out and the guy's like, no, 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 no. He's like, your son signed that for my son and said, that's the first autograph he's ever given. And so I pull the, I, I kind of look more directly at this little motocross chest protector. And sure enough, it's hashtag 25 Dalton Milliken. So immediate frog in the throat, almost immediate waterworks. And I'm almost, I shouldn't say almost, I was frustrated that this guy would do this at that very moment. I'm going up to race Steve Torrance, the guy that's killing everybody and has been for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, I look at him and he's like, I want you to have that. So my anger, I didn't really have anger, but I'm like, why right now? You know what I mean? Why right now? Yeah. And so he's like, I I want you to have that. You know, Dalton said that was his first autograph. So the frog's still in the throat and I'm like, thank you. You know, and we got to get up there. And by the time we got our car towed up there, something outerly out out of this world kind of thing. Like I just, all of a sudden I'm like, man, this is cool. Steve Torts is already in his car. I'll go over like, see you at the other end, you know, have fun, whatever. I get in the car, boom, our wind light comes up. I'm in the final round. And I have this most just unbelievable, calm, no nerves, no nothing. This just total at peace. Stand on the gas in the final. I, I get killed on the tree. I'm racing Leah Pritchett. Mm-hmm. Uh, she puts a cylinder out. Boom. I get my first ever win on Father's Day. And uh, perfect day. That happened for a reason. Of course it did. It took me 19 years and 250 some races. It was supposed to take that long. And that's when I showed my little 25. You can go find that and watch it. You know, I certainly We're going teared up it. and cried like a baby on national TV. But uh, the uh, the 25 number pops up constantly. So I'm in the tower doing all this media. Mm-hmm. And somebody points down at the finish line. And I had run uh, 3.82.25. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> can't make that up no you can't make that up and that, there is that, no such thing as a coincidence and that just shows that you know that path i mean 
lot of runner-ups. Um, there was probably a lot of days there that weren't that fun, but that's the way that your story was supposed to go, right? Yeah. That's exactly 100%. the way it was supposed to go. 100%. I mean, that's the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to take that long. Mm-hmm. And dang it, Dalton, none of my other wins will ever be as good as that one because I have won some since then. And mm-hmm. it's still awesome to win, and but nothing will ever match that. That's nothing, really- you know. That was actually a Father's Day gift from him to me to let me know that it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That instantly made the hair on my arm stand up and you had a frog in my throat. That's just, like I said, like you said, I mean, that's, that's Hollywood. That's a Hollywood story. That's amazing. That's, That's just absolutely yeah, unreal if you watch that movie if you watch that movie you'd be like oh that's a bs ending but it's it's, it's real. real life it's real it's life real. we'll get right back to the show but now a word from our sponsors and thank you for listening to these ads without these great companies none of this would be possible show your support for the people who support us we used to speak of a cst takeover but now 2022 is the year of cst supremacy cst's pulse mxr tires are the choice of joel hetrick jeffrey Rastrelli, and nick janusa meaning cst tire riders are in contention for pro class wins and a possible podium sweep every time they hit the racetrack cst tires are also the official tire choice of the digging deep atvmx podcast but you already knew that i your host cody jansen helped pioneer the cst takeover with pulse mxr fronts and white label soft compound rears on my way to -to back-to-back national championships and a pro sport podium to cap off the 2021 season the pulse mxr tire available in soft and standard compounds offer the highest level of traction most predictable cornering and superior wear characteristics when compared to the competition did i mention they offer contingency payouts as well Visit shop.cst tires to join the CSD takeover today or prepare to be beat by someone who did. Joel Hattrick, Jeffrey Rastrelli, Nick Janusa, myself, and so many more believe and trust in CSD tires. Do you? You already know we're Team Blue Crew now more than ever here at the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. And whether it's eight time and reigning ATVMX Pro Class National Champion Chad Weenan, who with his next championship will become the winningest champion in ATV motocross history, or seven-time and current XC1 Pro ATV GNCC National Champion Walker Fowler, who is now tied for second all-time in Titles 1, it's clear the podium-proven Yamaha YFZ450R is the winning choice of sport ATVs. This continued and unprecedented success for the Yamaha YFZ450R, its unrivaled quality and performance, and the undisputable fact that Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing has resulted in an ever-growing Yamaha takeover within the sport quad market. Best yet, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program is back and stronger than ever here in 2022, meaning Yamaha riders will once again cash in on payouts and prize opportunities, including a chance to win a brand new YFZ450R. For more info, head over to YamahaBlueCrew.com, follow them at Yamaha Outdoors on social media, and check out Yamaha's full proven off-road lineup at YamahaOutdoors.com today. SSI decals is a name synonymous with ATV racing, synonymous with big time success, and absolutely synonymous with the best looking decals around. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. With what started as just making numbers and decals for riders like Chad Weenan, the company quickly took off, and today you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker and designer now supports all the top teams in ATV motocross, as well as teams and riders racing GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, 
and oh yeah, six-time world champion top fuel drag racer Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship-level graphics. Head over to SSIDecals.com today and then maybe call the doctor because things are about to get sick. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is brought to you in part by DID and their wide range of championship-winning chains. From the street to the track and everywhere in between, DID chains are designed to give you the optimal riding experience with great performance and increased chain life. Consistent to the core, pick up your box of reliability today. DID, what drives you? We are proud to be partnered with Numira Technologies. Since 2001, Numira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Namira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Namira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, industry-leading top-end repair kits, and recently added connecting rods, visit your local dealer or online at www.namira.com. Namira Technologies, your one-stop shop engine component supplier. We are pleased to be partnered with Bronco ATV and UTV components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals and cylinders, shock and suspension parts, winches, clutch kits, valves, carb kits, bearing kits, and drive chain parts, Bronco is your hard part source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world, visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. Forworks Carbon's innovative lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber, and plastic hoods, gas tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV, or snowmobile, Forworks has the goodies that will improve your ride and make you salivate. We trust Forworks for increased function and a sexier look, and you should too. Forworks Carbon always working hard to bring high quality and innovative parts to the market. Check them out today at fwcarbon.com. All right, guys, back on our best of digging deep in 2022 episode and moving on to a short clip from episode 80 featuring South Africa's JL Opperman. How can you not love this guy? And similar to our conversation with Clay, this one hit us in the feels. Uh, Okay, so you first came to the States in 2020 and then you weren't here in 2021. Obviously, now you're back here now. So what happened in 2021? What what happened there? So basically what happened is um, my country had travel banned, so I couldn't get back into my country, and I stayed longer than my visa uh, was. How can I put it? Yeah, longer than my visa was um, like valid. valid for. Yep. Yes. Um, so they revoked my visa, and we just went back to the embassy. We gave them all the facts. They looked it up and issued me with a new visa. Okay. But the, the main reason is end of 2020, my dad passed and this is a passion me and him shared. And I felt like last year, if the passion went away a bit, because he's not there supporting me anymore. Yeah. But then I, middle of the year, I just realized like, why would you throw this away? Why won't you do it for him? And that's where the flame caught again. And that's why I'm back. Like I want to win. I want to succeed for him. I was just going to say, you want to do that for him. I'm sure now you almost have that much more of a driving passion because you know, he's right there with you, right? Just because he's not there in person doesn't mean he's not riding with you every single lap. For sure. That's post and stuff. You'll see this 
his ring I never ride without it just because I know he's there with me watching me so that really it motivates me and fuels me more to do better because I want to make him proud yeah well he's obviously so proud of you I'm so sorry for your loss but so glad that you're back here in the states doing it for him making the most of this opportunity is amazing and so you're you're riding one of Cody Ford's old Hondas right that in, in this past weekend you won not one but two overalls at Pleasure Valley words can describe it when I came over the finish line I didn't have like any emotions I just I was in shock and then I saw Bryce up on the hill he was cheering and showing me a number one and then it hit me and I was like oh my word that just happened and I did I was like shouting from happiness it was awesome yeah. it's a feeling I can describe that was awesome when I when I crossed that finish line it was to know it's too two wins it's awesome dude you had to, you had to feel like what is happening right now is this a dream two <laughs> in one day yeah it i'm not gonna lie that's how it felt that's all i was like so static man it was awesome all right guys this next segment features an event and a moment in atv motocross history that we will never forget and I'm convinced that we spoke this one into existence. Enjoy a question that started on episode 84 and then bled over into four plus hours of fun on episode 85. No, I don't mean this as a joke at all. Cause I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of no. any of this, but what if, what if it were to rain, Nick, what if it were to I, rain, you put this I'll, thing on the podium before it, we talked to Nick Janusa earlier. It rains. We talked about it, it rains every time we go to Ironman. So what, it. what if it were to rain? And and you're you know you get a whole shot and you're up in the mix, man. Like oh, what if? You know, like I was telling Jenna, you know, like yeah, I'm good in the mud. And I was I was looking at the forecast, and it was actually next weekend where it's supposed to be raining Thursday and Friday. I'm like, damn, I wish that was the following weekend because I got the old stock Honda tires and wheels sitting in the trailer. We'll throw on the stockers and go out there and rip it, there <laughs> rip you it. Go. And- that's awesome i just i've I've been saying it the last few days i've been saying it to my family the crew at the shop i've been saying it non-stop i can't believe nick denoble won moto 2 at iron man i I still can't (laughs) believe it dude you gotta be you gotta be riding the high still yeah i um honestly i can't believe it either um it's um it's been a lifelong dream to me you know, back when I was racing full time, you know, and man, we kicked some ass. That's a photo, dude. You did so, and I and that was my first thought: is this is Nick's first moto win? You know, you you raced all those years consecutively, pushing, you know, nonstop doing this thing. Uh, go on an eight-year retirement, come back, <laughs> and you win the first <laughs> moto of your career, dude. That, it's un, unreal. I still. It's, yeah. it's, it, it, it feels like a dream for me. I can't imagine how it feels for you. Yeah. It's, um, it's a dream. It's a dream that I'm still trying to wake up from, honestly, yeah. you know, and, um, man, it's, it's, <laughs> what can you do besides laugh? Right. You had a loss of words. You had a loss of words. It's awesome. And I just wrote, you know, I mean, I was just, like you said, I haven't I haven't touched a quad since Red Bud last year. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I mean, I started it up and drive it to my brother's house down the road, you know, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh my gosh. The story yeah. just keeps getting better. No lie, in qualifying, I did four laps after I hit the jumps. I hit the jumps, all the jumps a second lap. Then I put in two sprinter laps and my arms were jello. I pulled into the pits, pulled into the mechanics area, told my mechanic, Nick, I was like, dude, I got to take 10, you know? <laughs> so that, that gets me, Nick, to the point that I really want to hear about. So I really want to hear about Moto2. Uh, Dallas, roll the clip from last week. But what if, what if it were to rain, Nick? What if it were to I, rain? You put this I'll, thing on the podium before. It, we talked to Nick Janusa earlier. It rains. We talked about it. It rains every time we go to Ironman. So what, what if it were to rain? And and you're you know you get a whole shot and you're up in the mix, man. Like oh. what if? So I said, what if it rains, Nick? I said, what if it rains? Uh, and boy, did it ever rain. So I've never <laughs> seen anything like this, Nick. I've never seen conditions like this. I think everybody in the tower after the first, you know, lap or whatever was was thinking that, like, I think everybody was in disbelief. They thought they were going to shut this race down or something. What were you thinking when you're on the line for Moto2 when this rain is pouring down? What were you thinking at that point, buddy? Oh, man. Were you thinking, hey, this is my shot. This is my opportunity. Is that what you were thinking? Honestly, no. I was just sitting there thinking, damn, this rain's cold. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, it was pouring. Downpouring. I'm not going to lie. I did one race identical to that, which was 2008 in Unadilla back in the pro days. It was only Pro-Am and Pro who ran. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just like that, identical to it, you know, but they cut when I was in prime, they cut the pro-am down to two laps only. Oh my gosh. Track was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, but but it, so the thing is, the thing was, is when you guys like even went down to the line, it was raining, but it wasn't like, you know, deluge yeah. downpouring. No. Right. It was no. the, like, the track wasn't even going to be a mud race. It was just going to no. be slippery. Yep. You know, and you know, so I was right around on my pedal bike for a second moto whenever I seen people, putting duct tape on their air boxes and shit you know i mean i paid for i paid for my quad my motor all that stuff yeah. I, I didn't care you know honestly <laughs> i knew it was my last race and honestly i didn't bring nothing with i had one i had one set of tires and wheels yep. i wasn't gonna bring the stockers with but i was looking at the weather and didn't look that bad you know 60 percent chance so i was like ah, we'll just run smallies you know okay and um so anyways so prepping for that you know knowing yeah it was it got windy and stuff so we had to take our tents and stuff down and um man it was it was badass it was it it, it was literally when i seen the downpouring when we're sitting on that gate because it was just a little drizzle you know it was just a little drizzle when we're sitting on her weight and all of a sudden she downpoured Mm -hmm. i was like damn this is cool this is this is motocross. Mm-hmm. You can't so I, have a per, you can't have a perfect track every moto, mm-hmm. you know, like everyone thinks they need to. Yeah. It's motocross. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, and and the way that it rained, the way that it all played out, the way that it rained is going to make this race one of those races that people remember forever. Yeah. yeah. And it was cool, yeah. So it started downpouring there and then I think it lightened up probably what like a 
couple laps into it, right? I believe. Yeah, it did. It did. It wasn't raining like it was at the beginning throughout, but like at that point, at least like for us, you know, I don't know how it was for you guys on the racetrack, but for us, like, I mean, and I shouldn't even say you guys, cause there wasn't that many of you circulating by then. Right. But um, for us, like it was just, man, I'm just watching guys drop like flies, you know, like I'm just, it was hard to even keep track of what was going on, Nick, you know? Yeah. So, um, cause like for you, you know, you didn't necessarily get a stellar hole shot. Uh, no. and that was the thing, like when I proposed this, you know, what if you, you know, in my mind, I was like, what if you get a good start, you put it up front and then you, you know, kind of stay at the front for the, the whole race for you here. Like you didn't get a stellar hole shot, but then guys just start dropping like flies. You went from 10th, the first time you guys passed the finish line to third by the second lap around and by halfway, you had rose all the way to second, but did you have any idea like what position you may be in? Like, tell me about that. Cause there was so much going on. Like for people that weren't there or didn't see this, there was quads everywhere. You know, there's quads in their grab bars, people trying to get their bikes started, people pushing their quads up the middle of the racetrack, all these things. There was yeah. so much craziness. Timing and scoring was no help because there was, it was, there was such big gaps. I was just trying to think like, did you have any idea where you were in, in positions while you're on the racetrack there? Um, so the first lap, it was carnage, you know, it, it really was. And um, I knew not to run roll offs or yeah. regular tear offs because roll offs, well, you're just, it's water not behind mud. them. You get yeah. water behind them in the junk. It was just water. It wasn't mud. So roll right. thinking nothing for you. Right. So I had those laminated tear offs. Yep. Luckily, I kept my goggles on until the third lap, which oh, helped wow. me huge. Sure. Yeah, because then you're almost in clean air by the third lap. You're by yourself. Yep. And but anyways, back to the first lap. Um, I remember on that back stretch where you go underneath that bridge mm-hmm. and um there's a huge monsoon going between a roller and a double. And that's where everyone was really slowing up and they're just rolling the jumps. So I jumped it and with the blue Yamaha, I think it was number 51. Yeah. Um, yeah Patrick Torini. Yep. Okay. Well, he must've stalled his bike or something from rolling the jump. Yeah. And well, I couldn't see shit, you know? Yeah. So, but I knew, I knew where I was going and I came off of there and just, panic grabbing because he was sitting right there and i ended up my front bumper jammed into his grab bar my, my front bumper is all bent in and that's shit. what happened to your bumper i was wondering yep. what happened there yep. okay yep so that was the first lap and boom jammed into him and there's a huge there's a huge escalade right there you know mm-hmm. and i believe i was probably in probably like fourth or fifth after that first straight and first place and then you hit that, and you hang a right, and you hang a left right before those rollers. Yep. And I went to the inside, and all I seen was water, so I didn't know what the rut was. So I kind of jumped into it, and I caught the rut, and it flung me off to the off to the side to the right. Okay. And I seen Rastrelli go by me. Seen Rastrelli go by. He just missed me, and that's all. Him and Hogue, I think I seen go by. Okay. So jumped back on. I got her started, and by that time you know <laughs> i don't know people were everywhere <laughs> right well well yeah like that's how it was from the side of the track you could not 
you could not tell who was where and what was going on. Like there was people, everybody's on different laps by a couple laps in. It was crazy. Um, but the amazing part to me was the lap time. So on lap two, you ran the fastest lap time of the race. So you were the fastest rider in the race pretty much throughout this thing. So what happened on lap three? Was that when this thing just happened that you were just talking about? Because you ran a five minute lap time on lap three. Okay. So lap three, lap three, uh, I got a rocks stuck. My left front brake rotor. Oh, and my, really? And my front tire was locked up from, so I blew that berm after Godzilla. And my front tire was locked up all the way down to the left, to the right. That big triple in the middle and through those chicanes and coming back up to that, to that bridge jump, mm-hmm. you know? Yep, yep. And I tried stopping and getting out multiple times, you know? tire would come loose i was like oh shit we're good to go i'd go she locked back up sucked back in sure and um finally i got past all that because all the water was sitting there and i went up on, up on top of a lip of the jump and just rolled it backwards all the way to all the way to the bottom and the rock finally popped out okay and i was like oh because you know i i thought my race was done then you know Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried probably five or six times trying to get this rock out of there and, um, just kept on getting stuck again. Finally, I came out, I found it, threw it out and, um, I had no front brakes, but off we went boys. <laughs> well, well, I knew it was something big that happened because you're running, you know, the whole race, you were running three ish minute lap times and that five minute lap is really what, you know, it, what it's what sets you behind. And then it took you off of, you know, everybody's radar, right? Cause you were far enough back that, that yep. nobody was thinking about you as, you know, really even in the lead pack. Like at one point I was questioning, are you on the lead lap? And, and obviously you were so, um, that, but that's the crazy part. Your times were so crazy consistent despite the horrible conditions. And you were clearly the fastest rider on the racetrack. So at halfway, you were a minute and 21 seconds behind Wesley Wolf with two laps to go the next lap you were only 42 seconds behind Wesley Wolf. At the start of the last lap, again, one lap later, you had gotten the gap down to just 15 seconds, and then you passed Wesley for the lead and the Moto2 win on that final lap. So I'm fascinated to hear about this. Did you know, like, did you have any idea when you were passing Wesley Wolf that that was position and it could possibly be for the lead? No, honestly, I had no idea. I I remember seeing... uh... Stanfield and Hoag. Okay. Um, me and Hoag went back and forth on a couple turns. Yeah. And finally, I got that rock out of my rotor. Yep. And um, I went on the inside of him after Godzilla and got past him, went past Stanford. And um, on that final lap, I seen the two laps to go, and I just, two laps, let's, let's hammer it. <laughs> I, I, I literally had no idea. You know, I mean, you guys, yeah. my quad was running perfectly fine. Absolutely perfectly fine. Um, I actually stuttered there for about 10 to 15 seconds, um, a little bit in because I hit a huge water puddle. Okay. And um, other than that, she was she was solid. Anyway, <laughs> go back to the go back to the final lap. Um, come across that finish line. I seen I seen a bike that was that was going pretty good yet. You know. Okay. So I was like, well, if I see a bike that's going pretty good, he's got to be in the race. Everyone else is, you know, mm-hmm. sitting here watching. And um, ended up following, caught, caught Wesley pretty fast. Um, 
went past the mechanics area, hang that right rip for Godzilla, and he sprayed the shit out of me, you know, on top of Godzilla. And um, that was, I ain't having that anymore. You know, I had no goggles on. Right. So I, I passed him going down that tabletop, coming down back into the track on the outside. I mean, I was, I was hauling. I was hauling down that hill. That's where I made a lot of passes, actually, was down that hill. Okay. Um, people say I caught the track and this and that, whatever. Take that first place and put in your pipe and smoke it. Dude, so, and again, and I said this to you, you know, as we were conversating before I hit record here, but you were the fastest rider throughout the entire race. Like you didn't luck into winning the second moto. You were the fastest rider the whole time. You ran the fastest lap of the race. Like, I don't know what it was. I mean, you were just dialed in again. And, I, and, and I've been saying this all week. You were the ultimate wild card because you had absolutely nothing to lose. So, yeah. you know, as there's pressure on other guys and they're wanting to limp their quad to the finish line, and they're wanting to get as many points as possible and whatever, you had none of that on your mind. You were just trying no. to go as fast as you could. And, and, and so I sat there and I'm watching this race and people that were questioning, you know, that you got this done legitimately after the race to me, I sat there and watched the whole race and I watched Wesley and Wesley did nothing wrong. He rode a beautiful race, yep. but every and everybody, you know, with the, with three quarters of the racers found themselves on the side of the racetrack. So Wesley with a big lead probably thinks he's going to win the race. He starts to, to save the bike. He he's really tiptoeing through some of the water spots and whatever. And again, he was doing nothing wrong. It, 90 times out of a hundred, he wins that race. If Nick DeNoble doesn't come out of retirement, he wins that race, yeah. but you had nothing to lose. Nothing and, to and, lose. By, and by you having nothing to lose, I watched you ride your tail off. You were going for it. You were sending it the entire race. So in my mind, when you ultimately win this thing, I didn't know that part was coming, but hindsight being 2020, you going and ripping the way you were, it was like a no brainer to me by watching the way you were riding versus watching the other guys riding you were the fastest guy and, and, and ultimately it all came together and you won the race, but it was by anybody that was watching you. And maybe it's because I'm your buddy and I was focused on you still being out there, but the yep. way you were riding your riding style, the way you were charging in the stuff, there was no doubt in my mind that it was legitimate. No. Yeah. It was, um, I was blowing through the puddles. I wasn't going around them. I was hammering middle of them i was still charging the corners i was still tripling into the rollers i was yeah. still tripling into the rollers jumping this big water puddle tripling and doing whatever i can go, go through there yeah. you know and like i said it, yeah. it's all my equipment it was my i knew it was my last hoorah mm -hmm. give her the balls boys you know yeah yes. it was. and i yeah. gave her the beans and it um I felt great. I felt so good that moto, Cody. I didn't get tired one bit. You know, I was just, I was just so hyped up because, I mean, people say, uh, you know, horrible track prep and stuff. What are you going to do with a clay track? Would you rather them till it up right after the downpour so it's just a no. mud hole? Oh, no. 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 You, no. You keep it packed down so the water runs off of it. Halfway through the moto, half the water was pushed off or mm -hmm. ran off mm -hmm. you know by that by the last two laps it was a pretty pretty decent track you know yeah there's water puddles and stuff but yeah. pff, runner yeah so it was so it was mass confusion 
in the moment, you know, up in the tower as like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Um, but shortly before the finish, like I realized, I think what's about to happen. So, so laps earlier, I thought Wesley may be the only rider on the lead lap. And then I realized that, you know, you two were the only riders on the lead lap there. You were the other rider other than Wesley on the lead lap. It was just you two. So when I saw the gap down to just 15 seconds, and then I saw, you know, and I, and I knew very well that you had just been 42 seconds behind. So I see that it's down to 15 and I'm like, man, he's coming. And, and as I put this together, you're probably midway through your last lap. And I look up and I see you ahead of Wesley at this point with, you know, just a couple corners to go. And that's when it hit me that you were about to earn the first moto win of your professional career. So I turn around and, and I, I think it was Ian. I think I say to Ian Harris from SSI, like, man, I think Denoble's going to win this thing. And he like <laughs> looks at me like, like, I don't even know that he said anything. Right. So, so I, so I go over to the edge of the, of the scoring tower of the, of the tower where everybody's standing and I'm like watching the finish line and I have my phone up. So I'm going to watch the screen just as you, you know, come across the finish line. And I'm like, yep. man, I think Nick, when he crosses the finish line right here, his, you know, his name is going to go to the top of the board and he's going to have won this race. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. So I turned around and I exclaimed to the rest of the tower that Nick DeNoble just won. And everybody else looked at me like I was speaking French. Like you were so far from everybody's radar that nobody <laughs> believed it. So nope. I, so, so uh, the one other thing I'll say before I continue this is even the flagger, Nick, really gave you the white flag. He gave yeah. you the white flag and gave Wesley the finish, the, the checkered flag. Everybody at the racetrack thought that Wesley was the winner of this race. And so um, I turn, I tell, you know, I exclaim to everybody that Nick DeNoble won. Everybody thinks I'm speaking a different language by the look they're giving me. And my very next thought was Nick probably has no idea. He doesn't realize he just won this race either. And not wanting you to lose out on, uh, be robbed of that moment. I start to run down the stairs and I don't even barely remember, but I run down the stairs and I want to greet you. And you really didn't know that you won the motor at that point. Did you? No. Um, I remember seeing the white flag. Yeah. Seeing the white flag and then coming around and seeing the white flag again. Yeah. I'm like, yep. what the hell? You know? Yeah. And then I look back and then the checkered flag, I was like, well, no one, no one lapped me or passed me, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I was, I, I had no idea, you know, I seen a two lap white flag and I expected, expected the checkers. Yeah. And I got the white flag again and, well, then I look back, I seen the checker. So I just pull off to the side and I seen you coming running down. You're like, Nick, you just won. I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. You said to me, I won. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, yeah. and then, then you came to me the second time and you're like, dude, you won. And Casey Greek came up to me and said that. I was like, dude. And I think I said to you, I was like, talk about a Cinderella That's story. That's exactly what you said to me. So, and, and when I was at the top of the, so to put it, to put a cherry on top of that, like, I think I cracked the code that you won this thing literally before anybody else. So I'm screaming at the top of the tower, Nick DeNoble won the race, Nick DeNoble won. And Casey, the, the announcers 
are underneath me. They're one level below me in the tower. And Casey comes out and he just looks up at me. And I said, DeNovo won. And he walks right back into the tower with the mic saying, DeNovo won the race. Like, I think everybody was just trying to make sense of what just happened it's amazing like i and and again my thought was i just wanted to get to you and be the one to tell you that you won because man i was so hyped i felt like i won that's how happy i was for you dude it's um it's unreal it's it really is i've never i've never seen a retired pro come back race pro just one race and fucking win <laughs> and win the second moto. I can't believe I it, know. dude. I can't believe it. It'll never happen again. It'll never happen again. It'll never, it'll never ever happen again. No. Ever. No. <laughs> and if so, I don't, I, I don't believe it. Because once the people are out of racing, because I tried talking to Creamer into coming in and racing this girl with me, Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, I'm done. I'm, I'm never stepping on, stepping foot on a quad again. He goes, you'll stack up pretty decent. I was like, come on, you know, one, once they retire, they're done, you know, and out, but I've never been to that factory ride point, you know, with the pressure and stuff. I mean, I've had pressure from my dad and my mom from family owned teams, but man, I love ATV motocross. Yeah. I love it. And that's why I bought my quad three years ago because yeah. I had to get back into it, you know, it do it a couple times, but no, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Again. <laughs> that's oh, so dude, weird. just, just, to, just to be for me, even like just to be there and be a part of that moment, truly a moment that will live on in, in ATV folklore forever. It was, it was so incredible. Um, I, like, like I said, I mean, this is one of the, like, there's dirt bike, you know, races and memories, like Ricky Carmichael lapping the field in 06 at Millville and stuff like that. The crazy day, yeah. the Daytona mutter in 2007, um, where, you know, with Chad Reed dying with just a, you know, couple corners to go and Wyndham gets the win there, stuff like that. This is the ATV version of that. Like, like yeah. this is the ATV version. Nobody's ever going to forget about this. The videos and, and pictures and everything else are legendary. Those, the videos of, you know, how stoked you were after the race and the pictures of you, you know, with literally you can see nothing but water in your number plate or water in your helmet. It's unreal. It'll never be forgotten. And you're the star of that show. You're the star of that memory. And I said this to you already, I know you didn't win the overall, but you're the winner of this race. And I think in people's memory, you're going to be the winner of this race in, in the, in the memory banks for people. It's, it's, it's crazy, dude. I, 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 I still can't believe it. I've been thinking about it nonstop. I've been thinking about it nonstop because this is the coolest thing for me. Man, you and me both, you know, um, like I told you before the show, it's pretty emotional to me and I've teared up and everything else about this. Cried to my wife about it because it's just so, (laughs) it's so mind blowing, so mind blowing and so unexpected, you know, all I was expecting to do was finish the motos mm-hmm. not go out and win the second moto but to come out to a race just to have fun and to see my family 
my ATV racing family and everything. And to be back in the pro pits, like I told you, I'm racing with the big dogs again, the big boys, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's, that's all I wanted this weekend for sure was my, was, was probably going to be my last weekend, you know? Yeah. And, um, me and her talked about it and it was just, man, to, to, to top off, to top off my racing career with a Moto 2 victory. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It really is, man. The story will live on forever. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of you, pal. I, I, I truly couldn't be prouder. I've, I've kept saying this, uh, that, you know, if I didn't see it with my own two eyes, I don't know that I would have believed it. No. Um, but, man, it's real. This is real life. A, a Moto win and a top five overall finish after, you know, basically a decade, nearly a decade away from the sport. What a moment, moment that we'll truly never forget. So, man, I, I this has been awesome to relive it with you. This is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I wish it could never end. You know, it, it just what a, what a memory. And, and got to obviously congratulate you. Now, again, I uh, couldn't be prouder for you. And, um, man, just spending some of your time with us, sharing these awesome memories. It's, it's just so awesome to see how happy the memory makes you. You know, like that's that's truly special to me. And man, like I, I said it already, you're a legend. You're a legend. This is a legendary moment. You sent, cemented yourself as legendary status at this point, man. What a freaking awesome, awesome story. You cannot make this up. This is what Disney movies are made out of. As, as this thing ages, this is going to be one of those stories that we tell again and again. So someday you and I, however many years from now, are going to be doing, you know, a flashback, you know, flashback episode talking about the time that Nick DeNoble won Moto2 at Crawfordsville. It's, it's amazing. And only riding three times in three years. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, dude. Uh, I, I, Hey, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has Cody, been so much fun. Man, oh man. What a career. Yeah. What, what a career. What, what, what a way to go out, you know? <laughs> I was not expecting that. All of course was, you weren't. Of course you weren't, Nick. All I was expecting was to finish the motos and hopefully a whole shot. <laughs> Man. Hey, but we, we spoke this thing into existence. I said to you, hey, what if it rains? What yeah. if it rains? And you're like, hey. You're, you're like, I'm like, it rains every time we go to Iron Man. And you're like, really? Really? Yeah, because I've never been there, you know? And it was just like, hey, what if you turned what if into hey, I won. I won. I I won. It's 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 incredible. Man, un freaking believable. As the number one podcast in ATB racing, it's only right that we partner with the industry leaders in suspension tuning. Insert Impact Solutions. Impact Solutions is a full-service ATV and side-by-side suspension center specializing in the revalving and service of your motocross and off-road suspension. With over 25 years of elite-level knowledge, experience, and testing with riders of all ages and ability levels, Casey Greek, Jay Goble, and the Impact crew strive to exceed clients' expectations for service and setup. Impact Solutions is the official Elka Suspension Service Center of the United States, offering unmatched product knowledge and experience. Whether you're in need of service, parts, warranty, sales, or technical support, Impact Solutions has you covered. Head over to ImpactSolutionsATV.com or give them a call today. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. The following message is brought to you by Manscaped.com. 
the Manscaped engineering team has outdone themselves this time, creating the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, now available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, an official sponsor of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, with this exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I am blown away. This thing is next level. What sets this trimmer apart from all the rest? The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. It features a new multi-functioning on-off switch with travel lock for those of us who like to travel. And my favorite, the new trimmer allows you to customize your trim with four different guard lengths, an upgrade from its predecessor that only featured two. If you're listening, you know that good tools are a must, so wait no more to get the best tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20. Hey everyone, this is Larry Mills, president of DP Breaks North America and proud partner of the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. We at DP Brakes are a longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology, dominating the ATV world for decades by supporting the best four-wheel racers on the planet. This year's lineup includes Jeff Rastrelli, Mark Baldwin and Baldwin Motorsports, Ford Brothers Racing, Nick Janusa, and many more, including Mr. Digging Deep himself, Cody Jansen, plus all the top 17 GNCC pros such as seven-time champion Walker Fowler, Bryce O'Neill, Hunter Hart, Cole Richardson, Jared McClure, Adam McGill, and previous champion Chris Borich. These top riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer. Products ultimately help place them on top of the podium week after week. DP brakes are available through www.dp-brakes.com or you can purchase them through your local Parts Unlimited stocking dealer, or you can even message us, myself, Larry Mills, or DP Brakes on Instagram or Facebook. And if you have any questions about product or sponsorship support, please ask us. We are waiting for you. Join the best ATV riders in the world equipped with DP Brakes, and have a great year, everyone. Nearing two decades into the brand's existence, Factory 43 is back and better than ever, continuing to make major waves in the ATV world. For the third consecutive season, Factory 43 is the official aluminum parts choice of the Phoenix Racing ATV team, providing their state-of-the-art Evo Nerf bars, MX-style front bumpers, and grab bars for two-time champ Joel Hetrick. If you're in the market to upgrade your Nerf bars, bumpers, or grab bars, head over to Factory43ATV.com to see their full line of industry-leading products available for all makes and models. Head over to Factory43ATV.com today. Success in the ATV MX world is similar to what creates financial success as well. The right people, the right advice, and more importantly, hard work and the benefit of an ongoing relationship as situations change and adversity is experienced. Do you have the right financial advisor to help you reach your goals? Haymower Financial Group can create a personalized, goal-based plan to help your family prepare for whatever life brings. Call me, Scott Haymower, at Haymower Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, at 920-338-8150. That's 920-338-8150. Offices located in beautiful De Pere, Wisconsin, with registrations and clients nationwide. All right, guys, moving on to a clip with one of my childhood heroes, Shane Hitt. His full-length feature episode was back in November of 2021. That was episode 67, but he joined us earlier this year on episode 84 to discuss current ATV motocross racing at one of his favorite local tracks. No surprise that this episode was on our top 10 list. Who wouldn't want to hear from a legend like 1997 
ATV Pro GNC National Champion, Mr. Shane Hitt. It's an honor to have you join us, uh, be joined by one of my biggest childhood heroes is obviously um, awesome. So tell me how good it was to be back at the races. Like you just said, I think um, High Point is kind of a, a place you go every time the series uh, heads over to southwestern Pennsylvania, right? So, so tell me what it was like to be back at the races. It's been a little while. Well, it's good. You know, I got to go to Daytona, but Daytona is kind of different, you know, because it's not a full national. It's just well, in the previous, it's just been the pro class, and then it's been some am. Uh, they had some pro am stuff this year, but mm -hmm. it went off, which ruined it. Um, Daytona's really not a full blown motocross race to me, but um, High Point's special because you know it's it's a local track to me. Um, mm -hmm. I went to college at WVU, which is um, ten minutes from uh, High Point, mm -hmm. and I grew up racing District Five at High Point, and. So I love to go up there. It's, you know, and to watch the place, how it's changed from, from year to year. I mean, to, to back when I raced at high point and to go up there and look at the track now, it's not even the same place anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but it's got a lot of history. It's close to home. Um, I know a lot of people there. Um, so it's, it's cool to go up there and, and watch. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, so right off the bat, Shane, do you have a, a personal like favorite memory from High Point? I mean, like you said, you grew up there, you went to college right there. Um, but do you have a, a, a racing memory that stands out about your time there at High Point? Well, I can remember growing up, you know, when I, when I first started racing, that I raced cross-country races there, you know, at GNCC races there, local cross-country races there, and then we did, you know, local District 5 stuff there, but obviously it was, you know, winning the National there in 97, and, but probably my favorite memory was, I think it was 2002 when I, when I won the second moto there, I got a fourth in the first moto, and then I come out second moto. I ended up third. I think I ended up third overall. I think Corey Ellis got the overall. Timmy was second, and uh, I was third. But it was um, a brand new bike that, that Mike Walsh had just built me, and uh, we didn't even didn't even have time to powder coat it. We just took it straight to the races, put it together at the track, and went out and run the first moto and got fourth on it. And thought, ah, I don't know if this thing's any good or not. And then I run away with the second moto, and I thought, well, it might not be too bad. So, <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I just love High Point. And the crazy thing is back when, when I used to go to High Point, you know, I was friends with Barry Hawk and a lot of the cross-country guys. Those guys would all come out and hang out. So it was cool. It was always kind of a home race for me. Yeah, that's awesome. It's obviously awesome to hear some of those old memories. I think that's one of those places, like I said at the start here, is just historic um, in American motocross in general and ATVs, it's no different. Now from one legend to another, we broke into our top three most listened to shows of 2022 with What If It Rains. Now it's on to number two, our second most listened to episode of the year. And it was one of the most highly anticipated shows ever. Episode 78 can only be described with three words, Dana freaking Creech. I believe the story goes, if I remember correctly, after being a super fan of yours when I was younger, that you made the trek from California to Loretta's to compete in your first, you know, ATV national. And you must've been a, still a teenager at that time. Yeah. I believe it was 99. It was our junior year of high school. Okay. Uh, we packed all our bikes in Tavis's trailer and his parents drove out there with all, all our bikes. And, uh, my family, we flew out there and okay. uh, met him because I was in school still. Mm -hmm. Met him out there and we pitted. We didn't know what class we were going to ride. We are going to ride B class or C. We didn't know. Okay. And uh, we finally were like, well, I guess I guess we should just go for it. We're out here. So we signed up for A class and uh, he signed up for Pro-Am as well. 
Okay. I just did. I just concentrated on the A class there, and that was a that was the year Jimmy Elza won every race that year. Okay. He won every single race undefeated on motocross. I don't know about TT. Okay. But uh, we came there. Nobody knew us from anything. We didn't know anything. I had a stock chassis with some A arms on it. And okay. A, I think swing arm by that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a PP shocks on it. Okay. And uh, we went for it. We ended up, uh, I think, getting like fast qualifiers, and we won our our pretty much dominated the thing. Tavis and I were running first and second uh, in the main, and his chain broke, or we would have got first and second at the our first race. I oh, really? It. Okay. Yeah, he he was right there. We were both ahead of Jimmy. Like, Jimmy is <laughs> what the hell? Last race, Jimmy got these two. <laughs> kids from california that came out god and we always give them shit for that uh, two kids come out have no idea what they're doing don't know what class they're gonna race and that end yep. up upsetting the guy that that's as good as it gets um yep. that's that's funny i didn't know the the tavis kane part of that but i knew you know the story goes and you can look up stories even online now where it it mm-hmm. says you know that you come out of the woodwork win your first uh national it's in the a class and you you know won it pretty handily so that's what dreams are made of i feel like that story that everybody dreams of having happen and so i was gonna ask you about the year so you said that you thought that was 99 yeah it was 99 because i graduated in 2000 gotcha so gotcha i raced the whole i raced the whole series 2000 gotcha and that's what i was going to ask i didn't know if that then opened the door i didn't know if it was mm-hmm. you know you guys like saying hey like we could really make a mark here or i didn't know if it opened the door you know to like some sponsorship or support or something like that somebody helping you get to the races so tell me about that yeah sean sermini I don't, I'm sure you remember Sean. I do. Yeah, I do. Sean came up to me there at the race and he brought me over to Doug's trailer. Doug just won the championship. Okay. You know, Doug's obviously an idol. Mine, mm-hmm. like I was, oh, Doug Gus. <laughs> of course. I got to have some of his championship cake there in the trailer. Nice. And, pit and hang out with him and Sean and Nacarados. It was, it was pretty awesome. He's like, he's like, well, you, he's like, you're with us pretty much. And he made sure that he helped me get some sponsors. I think, uh, hooked me up with uh donnie emler donnie was pretty much mm-hmm. one of my first sponsors there at F- fmf F- yep yep got some exhaust and everything from him we ended up buying uh my dad's body shop sponsored me throughout okay. the thing made okay. it worth made it possible and we bought a uh, doug's bike one of the bikes they built for doug there at max okay uh full lager chassis everything mm-hmm. with built motor just turnkey bike that nice. we got and uh that's what I raced my A class here in 2000. Okay, and then you ended up winning in 2000 as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, I won. I won most. If I didn't wreck, I won. <laughs> I know Bardstown. In Bardstown, I wrecked. My bike went all the way down to the pond, and I had to get up. My I placed pretty good, but I didn't win it. Okay. And then the TTs, I didn't win a TT. I didn't know anything about it or setup. <laughs> that was I was campaigning to get TT out of the series the best I could. <laughs> very anti-tt at the time that it had to be part of the series I was like are you kidding me like jerry mcgrath doesn't have ricky carmichael doesn't have to do this right right so, right yeah i mean i i like it just i didn't think it needed to be part of the national series i understand like, well, both together averaging yeah well i feel so. like for, for so many people uh they said you know that they had a second machine right like during that era mm-hmm. they'd have a second machine for tts just set up for that so uh if you're not a guy that had that like yeah that made it no. a lot tougher and and i feel like for you i feel like what made you so strong always like you were so natural like with jumping and stuff but you're also like just willing to to hold it pegged 
right? And uh, yeah. that wasn't necessarily what the best thing to do in TT was, you know? No, the TT, what the really we struggled with too is there was usually a freestyle. I mean, it started at the first one at Danville and uh, we did freestyle and TT at the race and I only had one bike. So we had to switch meeting him at a Anaheim uh, pace race. Okay. One of the one of the first ones I did on a, okay. on an axe bike that 2000 year. Mm-hmm. I was in a last chance qualifier racing Keith Marks. I remember it still. I uh, won the last chance qualifier and uh, did a hill clicker over the finish line. Okay. And uh, Wes ended up coming up to me in the pits out there to my trailer and introduced himself. And I obviously knew who he was for sure. Of course. Yeah. 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 I have pictures of meeting him. My mom was back there snapping pictures <laughs> of it. Nice. But uh, yeah, he came up. He's like, you, I want to do stuff with you. You're like, we're going to, we're going to do it pretty much. And we ended up scheduling a couple shoots, went to Beaumont and uh, out to Glamis. Those are the first two shoots we did together and uh, kind of history from there. Like we, I tried to, I would go wherever, wherever I could to get more, get mm-hmm. promoted more, you know? I yeah. Said, you know, if you're filming, I'll be there right kind yeah. of thing that's what that's what really skyrocketed me because i went from nothing to mm-hmm. in the scene big really quick mm-hmm. you know that wave the first wave also i was in most of the most of the segments because i made sure i was going to all of them you know and one of the questions i had for you was if the freestyle stuff took away from the racing at all but you kind of already said like other than you know maybe an injury here or there um the freestyle didn't really take away from the racing even though the racing was priority yeah racing was priority it just uh I'd say the TTs it took away from it until I got a separate bike okay. you know, on the next team. I had multiple bikes mm-hmm. after that, you know, mm-hmm. had TT bike. And then during that era, we didn't have to do it anymore. And I was like, peace, have fun, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would go back and do TT now. It seems real fun. But when I had to have it be part of the series, it bummed me out. Like, cause I wasn't good at it and right. I didn't know about it. They had so many years of experience. Right. You know, that was, that was the main thing. I thought they should be separate the whole time. Well, I feel like that those older guys are the guys that really shined on the TTs too. You know, they had, they had done it forever. Those are the guys that you didn't want to mess with on TTs. So at what point, I guess I didn't ask you this already, but at at what year did you go pro Dana? I did 2000. I won the A class and I went 2001 was the first year. So you went, you went right away. So you went from yeah. just a little bit over one season as an amateur mm-hmm. on the national scene and went right to the pro class. So what was that like lining up against guys that you obviously were idolizing uh, yeah. right away? Basically, what was that like? I, it was definitely my goal my whole life. Like, that's what I wanted. Like, I just wanted to race those guys. That, you know, I knew I had to do the A class to learn and, get the sponsorship up and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was excited. I was super excited. I, I wish I would have known more about training and stuff back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I definitely, I moved right out of the 2000. I was in high school still. We flew to every race and I had people take my bikes and their trailer and we paid them to haul our bikes to everything. We'd fly in and get them ready when we get there. And, uh, 2001, I, I moved as soon as I got out of high school to Nashville and, we started that we that was when the next semi started mm-hmm. of that year and yep i don't know it was it was a lot for an 18 year old i'll tell you that like being on my own and everything like i probably could have concentrated more on racing than <laughs> some other things like i just wanted to i was out there i was on mm-hmm. my own yeah girls all that stuff you know you get you get distracted a little bit so 
I'd say I definitely started concentrating more after that year. That year, that year was a big experience. We got a bunch of questions about your worst crash ever. Oh, that's easy. That was at that was at Bardstown, Kentucky, where my needle clip broke in a practice. We were at a freestyle show when you guys, you know, 360 you guys were showing. It was right yeah. after that. I think we did two practices that day and the next practice we were going out and uh it was at 90 feet and uh we did it in fourth gear on the 250s. And you come up and you're like bap, 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 up the takeoff and bap, 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 whoop, whoop, and ended up breaking the needle clip on that carburetor there and i had to jump off peak mm-hmm. and i made it to the landing on top with like one foot and then right to my ass and uh ended up breaking my tailbone my ankle and three vertebrae right right in this area right t8 t9 and t10 okay. compressed them and uh that was by far my worst feelings <sighs> you know uh, other than the last crash on a quad that one was probably the scariest one i wrecked at a Wes's house when we were filming Wavos 11, the bomb shelter thing. Mm-hmm. I ended up following Colton off the ramp, did great, came around to do it again, and I was nose high, clipped it and set me right to the bottom. Then the quad landed on me and just I went with it. I ended up waking up to them telling me my I have compound fractures, which I didn't. They were just bleeding so bad they thought the bone was sticking out. Okay. And uh Caleb and Wes had to take my leg that was up here behind me facing out. I was laying on it my oh. hip dislocated and they pulled it around straight while I was knocked out and uh that was right there with the back breaking one and oh. it took a lot longer to heal up oh my that gosh was, and still still a little bit bothers me that one like just to tighten the hips up mm-hmm. there was always popping out for a while it didn't have any movement for at least a couple months I kept going back to the emergency room telling them like something's wrong guys oh. can't move my leg Oh. it was pretty well paralyzed there in the whole area for a while because it just ripped everything out Jeez. of the growing and stuff yeah it was it was really bad but yeah that's still horrible. lucky everything works i ride i have fun still i get to play with my son yep so that's all that matters I'm happy right? with that yeah that's all yeah. that matters you know talking about that that bardstown kentucky uh crash that was came right after that you know the 360 thing like you talked about and i was actually mm-hmm. i saw that video earlier today the the crash there and mm-hmm. it was it was hard for me to watch man like it's still to this day is hard for me to watch just seeing yeah, thankfully <laughs> thankfully like you're you're moving you know you're moving so so yeah you know, everybody knows you're not paralyzed, but you could just tell like the, the tone of your, of your voice or whatever, your, your, you know, your yeah. screams, your yells. Um, it's hard. It's hard for me to watch. Cause you can tell how much pain you're in, you know? Yeah. I mean, really the, you know, I always do the limb check when you wreck. Of course. Yeah. Chest everything, <laughs> make sure it goes, but uh, right, right. it was, it was my, my tailbone, my, my butt took so much trauma when I landed there. Like I was bruised from up above my waistline all the way to the back of my legs all the way around from that like it it was just horrible that the tailbone part the way it, how much trauma that got mm-hmm. like i just that hurt way worse than the back because the back took longer to heal sure yeah and oh. then, yeah it just that hurt <laughs> and the, the landing was just cement <sighs> the bike landed right into the back of it so if i was stayed on i'd have been really bad i just mm-hmm. i took the best moment and bailed and made it to the top luckily and it ripped it ripped the arms out of one side of the bike completely oh right out of the gosh. frame yeah so out of a legger frame yeah so wasn't a stock one or nothing right 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 that's unreal. yeah it was, it was bad they had to take me 
I was on a backboard for 13 hours there. They took me to that hospital, which they did CAT scans and stuff. And they ended up not being able to do anything. So they sent me to the University of Kentucky in Louisville, mm -hmm. which they didn't have a helicopter that time. So they took me in an ambulance <sighs> all the way to Louisville from Bardstown. Oh, I was still gosh. on the backboard with the neck brace taped to it. I had to have my hands under my butt, keep it up off the thing because it hurt to have my butt touching the board. I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it sucked oh my gosh yeah, i remember all that <laughs> okay yeah we, we don't need to remember that anymore so um let's yeah. move on let's we'll move on to a little happier things here yeah. um <laughs> we'll get into some of our listener questions a little bit we were just talking about the the famous you know 360 spin on the on the landing there uh, i don't know what mm -hmm. you call it but we predictably got a, a zillion questions about that thing um yeah. so so people wanted to know if it was like a, a, a if that was a one shot deal or if if that took a lot of practice to to hone in on that thing Oh, I'd, I'd been practicing it for a while and uh that was the first time ever sticking it okay completely around actually that's two different shots that the one that's all close up from behind that one i wasn't making it i was going down it was like a three-quarter but the one from the other side where i'm coming straight at you that was the one the one i made it all the way straight all the way through so two sure. different two different two different shots there just nobody really lined up the whole thing together other than that one shot okay um i did it uh I've done it quite a few times after that. Um, I don't know why Wes didn't use it, but I was doing it on my uh, Walsh bike at a, which was a lot harder to do it on, uh, or something. But and it was probably a little heavier. But I did it at a um, Massachusetts. We were at uh, John Chandler's place out there okay. doing it, and I was doing it off the landing there. And I don't know what happened to that footage. Wes could probably answer that one. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, sure. I did it anytime I could build a thing to do it. I was always playing with that trick. So I wanted to actually do it in the air without pivoting. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the whole goal. I sure. told, always told Mike I wanted a 250F, a light <laughs> 250F to try it on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and now he's making them. Yeah, he is. Yeah, they're they're out yeah. there now. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. It's crazy. The, the more you watch it, like the more I watch it, the crazier it is to me. Uh, just when you think about what you're actually doing, you know, to get that thing to spin yeah. like that, it, you're one of a kind. You had to like come in and then I had to grab the front brakes to make it come up and around. You kind of like stab it real quick on the sure. on the thing was like the start of it to get it going. But then you had to have your ass light on the seat so the back end would pop up. Mm -hmm. like it was a it was a process a lot of wrecks like <laughs> don't feel bad if you're wrecking trying it because i wrecked so many times trying that went through a lot of handlebars and levers and <laughs> steering stems like tons of wrecks oh my gosh <laughs> uh yeah. so, so that's got to be that's got to be just about the the most famous clip any of the wavos videos it's got to be the most famous clip of yours i would think um so do you have oh. a do you have a, fa a favorite Wavos movie, Wavos segment. We got a bunch of questions about favorites yeah. Wavos related things. So uh tell me your favorites of some of the Wavos stuff. Um, I mean the last one, the last day was probably one of the best days. Okay. I have road quads and then the worst. Okay. You know, when I wanted that wreck I just told you about. But right. the whole day was awesome. We did the Elsnore shoot that day in the morning because we had a helicopter rented for the day, and then we went straight to Wes's house on the, the compound I built this. I spent so much time building that compound there over the years. And I had my practice track there. It was on 20 acres at Wes's house. And I built it for years out there. And then okay. we built this whole jump line and 
pretty much just jumps all over the place. We only showed a little bit of it, but mm-hmm. long jump line going through the whole property there. And uh, that was probably my favorite scene from Huevos just because of what the, what ha- like to get it to there and how far we'd come. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was the last time riding with Caleb, I think right there. It was just one of my favorite mm-hmm. scenes from it. Uh, I also love the Alabama one. Everybody, everybody loves that one. Yeah. 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 I like that one. And then, um, probably one of the first ones we ever did there at Tavis's at night. Mm-hmm. That was the night shoot where we were all jumping over the bonfire. Yeah. That was, that was pretty cool. Like there, we didn't, I think we might've had one construction generator light. The rest were all trucks parked on the runway. Okay. And pointing at the landing at night with a big mm-hmm. bonfire. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know. If anybody wants to see some early stuff, watch that again. Um, you were another one of those guys whose career spanned through some of the raddest eras of ATV racing, the, the eras that saw probably like the most change in evolution. And it had to be cool to be a part of that. You know, you came in on a 250R like everyone else, and then you thrived in the hybrid era. You had some of the baddest ass hybrids that there ever were. And, uh, <laughs> and then you were in the mix in the production era as well. So between the 250R days, the short-lived hybrid era, and then the dawn of the production time period, uh, did you have a favorite era or, or period that you were a part of there um yeah i mean i i love the walsh you know i rode the lagers first with a yamaha motor mm-hmm. and then hooking up with mike that was the biggest and what a what a great guy and great friend like mm-hmm. me and mike hit it off so well and he helped me out like i could not have done it without mike you know i was on my own my own race team at that time and mm-hmm. mike took me in and he definitely made it possible what we were doing and uh it was awesome we we had a lot of good times mike i ended up pulling his bike around to a lot of the races the stadium races and stuff and uh we'd always pit together like i love that guy like mike definitely one of my best friends from racing him and him and jason luber Yep, exactly. I, I love Mike Walsh too, man. I figured that that was going to be the era you said, uh, your machines were so dialed during that time, those CRF hybrids, but, uh, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, this kind of bleeds into this next question. I wanted to ask you about your favorite quad, but first I kind of want to, before just having you say it, cause you're going to say that CRF hybrid, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> I want you to be able to go through some of the, the notable ones, uh, and have you tell me about them a little bit or, or what you liked about them, starting with those legendary Nax 250Rs. I think um, I didn't say it before, but I think the entire ATV industry is still crushing on those bad boys. Yeah, I, I still have it. I have I have all of them. Do I you really? Them. Like I, any championship bike I kept and then I kept my last race bike, the okay. Suzuki. Okay. So the 06 Suzuki I kept, but I have the that original Doug Gust bike we bought. I still still have that bike sitting sitting in my dad's house right now. Like oh, I love, that's, that's love that bike. It was it was awesome. I ended up having a I borrowed a chassis and stuff for freestyle for a while. Okay. And that was that was kind of the second one. And then we ended up getting another one. So I had two bikes there for a while that would be like my practice bike and uh but I kept this one. This is the one I won the A class on, so I kept it. And uh I love it. I actually am gonna do a kind of show the rebuild of that bike here soon. So yeah, it's going to get a complete restoration. That that's amazing. That's a piece of history, you know, with how amazing those things are. That's a piece of history. Yeah, definitely. It had, had a Terry Varner one-off exhaust on it and stuff. Like it was built for a Doug supposedly. Oh my God. A store Sean gave me. 
Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, that that's, that's incredible. Like I said, to this day, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think so many of us drool when we see those things. So that's, that's incredible. Um, so then, then that 250 R based, you know, wall CRF hybrid, like I said, I'm sure that's your favorite, but those things were iconic. Yeah, no, I, I love that thing. That, That bike was just the best by far. I ended up, uh, I ran Tom's motors and Tom stuff forever. Mm-hmm. And I ended up switching uh, exhaust. White Brothers sponsored me for a while. So I got that exhaust. I have, It's what it's got on right now is a carbon fiber oh, White yeah. Brothers. Those are so sweet. On there those, those are so Donnie sweet. Loose. Oh, yes. Donnie. Yep. Donnie was the man back then. He helped mm-hmm. me out a lot. We did a lot of testing with them there in Taos. And okay. Trying to make it. He was doing one-off exhaust for this hybrid bike. You know, it wasn't even anything they could sell. Right. Until I got a production bike and then I, they started selling Yamaha stuff that I ran, but that's what, that's what I ran for the rest of my career is the white brother stuff. Yeah. I like those. I like Tom's too. Just Tom's was so loud. Oh my God. I know. So loud. Like, <laughs> you could rattle the guy in front of you with Tom's. You could mess him up and make him make a mistake so bad. Mm-hmm. Just coming in and revving that thing up. <laughs> it was funny oh my gosh yeah well well that was predictable that it was going to be that you know that loud when the thing was as tiny as it was this in the in the stadiums they they were so loud i can't believe they even let us run them in there oh my gosh that is wild yeah Yeah, everybody everybody is hard of hearing nowadays because of those things and so then after that obviously came the the yfz and i guess the yfz that i think of with you i think of the the yellow and black one those are the ones that Mm -hmm. that come to mind for me so what was that like you know obviously that was a that was a cool era for atv racing when the factories got back into it and there was production quads so what was that era like to be a part of uh i liked it it was it was cool because it brought everybody kind of on a more even playing field for a while until until the factories got too far into it, you know, then Suzuki, whoever was the guys, they had Mm -hmm. way different bike motor and stuff than us. You know, even though I was on the Yoshimura motor there at the end, Mm -hmm. I don't think it was the same motor they had (laughs) like that kind of thing. (laughs) The mapping and stuff, like it just got kind of weird towards the end, but that Yamaha, I'd put it up against anything back then. Like that, that was one of the, that was definitely the best production bike I rode was those Yamahas. Yeah. You know, I love, I love that bike. I wish I still had it. Uh, well, I'm sure that, so you're comparing, you know, the, the Suzuki that you had to the Suzuki that the factory guys had, I'm sure that that's mm-hmm. what, I'm sure that that's what Corey Ellis was thinking when he was on a Z 400 and you were on your oh, yeah. CRF hybrid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he, he definitely brought a knife to a gunfight on that one, <laughs> but he's still, he's Corey Ellis. He could have wrote a three wheeler. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. He's like John Natale. Those guys. <laughs> John yeah. Cuddle rode a three-wheeler at any of the races and probably still podiumed. I know. Yeah, there's just no quitting yeah. those guys. Um, yeah. It's wild. So next would have came – so after the Yamaha would have came the Suzuki, right? And then yep. um, I literally have written in my notes, I thought your your last pro race, your last pro motocross race came on an LTR in 2006 at WPSA, and we kind of already talked about that. But that was the case. Yep. Yeah, English Town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That was uh, the last one. I decided that day. Oh, really? Yeah. I okay. decided that day after the race. Like, hey, there's a couple things that went on. I won't get into it, but I just okay. said, I'm not coming back. Okay. Like, the way the promoters and stuff were dealing with us and sure. everything and some of the other people there, I just said, peace. You know, I'm going to go do UTVs and race out west. Mm-hmm. I just had a really bad taste in my mouth after that for okay. what was happening there. Okay. And, uh, you know, I just... That's 
not all I got to say about that. I no, wish, yeah. You know, yeah. I'd love, I'd love to go back now. It looks like it's a lot better. You know, yeah. I'd really like to go ride. I just need a new bike. Need a Yamaha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Need to get on the blue crew with you. Do you have someone who you'd consider like your fiercest rival or like a toughest competitor? Did you find yourself battling with one particular guy all the time? Like who comes to mind if I propose that question to you? Well, I mean, for stadium, it would have been Corey and Keith. Mm-hmm. I'd say and Tim. Okay. Those guys, like, you know, and it was just a privilege to race against Tim. Tim was, Tim was a man, you know, always looked up to him. You know, I looked up to Corey too, but before Corey, it was definitely and always above Corey. Sorry, Corey, but Tim has a history. You know, like, Tim was a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, racing with him, Doug, all those guys, that was, that was pretty awesome. You know, I just, uh, I'd say the most times we had to battle it out was with Corey, probably. Okay. Yeah. You know, we'd always find each other. Okay. Okay. Well, I feel like everybody's got that guy, you know, that you just can't get yeah. away from. And, and for you, you know, there was so many legends, like you, you raced all the most legendary guys in the sport. Uh, it's just gotta be, it's gotta be like cool that you got to do that. Also, you had to race yeah. the gnarliest guys, but you were one of those guys too. Yeah. It was definitely a privilege to get to race with all my <laughs> heroes. Like they weren't out yet when I got in, I was, what, exactly. I was pretty happy about that. Still happy that I got to race with most of the guys I got to watch it. Gary's about the only one I didn't get to race with, you know? Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Uh, so did you, so you got to do all this different stuff, you know, in racing, you know, you got to race and freestyle supermoto, all the stuff we touched on all these different disciplines and everything in between. So what motivated you like throughout all that time, what motivated you? <laughs> Girls. just like the sport of atv motocross as a whole our digging deep community is brought together by the love for racing that we all share our sport is compiled of many great people and leading that charge is the launderville family at launderville steel enterprises and concrete supply this racing owned family business is a steel and concrete supplier serving the entire united states launderville steel is a full service steel supplier of new and surplus steel aluminum and stainless steel products headlined by the 4130 chromoly tubing and plate used in the building of chassis for atvs and utvs off-road truck racing late model dirt and pro tractor pulling series drag racing and more launderville steel loves their racing just as much as we do but don't forget about their concrete division as well with over 25 years of experience the concrete division can supply everything you need to complete your next business or personal project their central midwest location enables lse to easily serve customers across the united states for a quote additional info answers to more of your questions or to talk a little racing head over to launderbillsteel.com or give them a call today we are proud to be partnered with yet another racer-owned company. Thank you, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. Here at Digging Deep, we have an obvious passion for ATVs and pridefully enjoy sharing the sport's history. Since 2019, when the podcast was born, we've been working to partner with individuals who share our passion, but one man and his vision had been missing from our partnership group. Until now. When it comes to the sport's history, the hallowed grounds of Binky's Forever ATC Museum has it all. Binky Tap's got mind-blowing collection of three- and four-wheelers, has preserved history by spanning all makes and models from Honda three-wheelers in chronological order to unique builds that shaped ATV racing as we know it, like Doug Gust's iconic DRZ-powered hybrid thumper and everything in between. There's no denying Binky's passion, a passion that we certainly relate to here at Digging Deep. Binky's goal is to share his amazing collection with fellow enthusiasts by making his prized possessions accessible to the public via scheduled visits. 
Follow Forever ATC Museum on Facebook and watch foreveratc.com for further updates on possibly getting a chance to see Binky's Forever ATC Museum for yourself. We are proud to welcome Binky's Forever ATC Museum to the Digging Deep family. Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant. The best power sports coolant on the market, Evans prevents overheating and boil over so you need not worry about harming your engine or suffering a premature end to your ride no matter what the conditions. Designed for use in ATVs, UTVs, motorcycles, and other power sports equipment, when conditions are at their worst, Evans is at its best. Upgrade to Evans now to avoid overheating and boil over next time you hit the track or trail. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 at checkout to save at evanscoolant.com. Thanks for listening, and remember to support our partners. Now back to the show. All right, guys, last but not least, and for those of you scoring at home, you know exactly what epic episode must be left. Nearly a decade ago, on the heels of a prolific season that featured 18 Pro-Am overall victories, 37 moto wins, and two national championships, Cody Gibson disappeared from ATV racing, never to return. I likened Cody Gibson's story to this. Imagine if James Stewart disappeared from professional motocross prior to graduating to the premier class. So take yourself back to 2003 or 2004 when, even though he was a teenager on a 125, you just knew that he was the guy that could most give Ricky Carmichael a run for his money before we ever even saw it. Now, imagine Stewart retiring before any of those imminent battles that were on the horizon were ever seen. This is the Cody Gibson story. In his three full seasons as a Pro-Am rider, Cody Gibson won 36 overalls on his way to five ATV Motocross National Championships. He's an absolute legend, but he had never publicly discussed his ATV racing career until joining the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. Our biggest episode of the year, episode 73, nearly broke the internet. Here's to some of the best clips of the Cody Gibson story. We we did rock crawling. My dad's hardcore redneck. You know, we're from up here, like in the hills of Tennessee. So <laughs> it, was, it was always our thing. Like we took these sport boilers. My dad, at this time, he had big rock crawlers. So basically anywhere that rock crawler would go, like there was a 72-pound Cody that was four foot nothing. <laughs> Like, I would always just follow him around. And, you know, that's kind of how I learned how to ride. Okay. And I guess I rode that thing all the way until the YFZ 450 come out. I don't know what year it was, like 04? Yeah, 03 or 04, yeah. yeah. And we had no plan on buying one, but we actually went to Florida. Like, my dad at this time had a Warrior, and my mom had some other four-wheeler. I can't remember what it was, but we went to Florida to ride, I think, at Croom. And so, like, we were down there at Krim riding or whatever. We leave, go to this steakhouse. Well, we go in there, and again, all I did, you know, like, from the time I got out of school every weekend, I rode this four-wheeler, so it was my baby. Like, like it, I thought about it more than I did anything. Okay. Well, we go in the steakhouse. When we come back out, all the four-wheelers are gone. You know, so everything gets stolen. And so, you know, obviously I was super sad. My dad was making pretty good money. My mom and dad, I say, mm-hmm. but they were doing real well. So the only thing my dad knew to say, he said, you can go on the internet and pick out any four wheeler you want and I'll buy it for you as soon as we get home, you know? So, that, you know, it was a super sad situation, but at the same time, I think other than the Mike Walsh, it was, it was what made me who I was because we go back home and the YFZ 450 had just came out. Okay. So I told my dad, I was like, this is what I want. You know, and we go to look at it. We actually went to one Yamaha place and it was like, no, you're not buying this. My dad, if you knew my dad, he, he gets super fired up. He used to have a bad temper. Well, 
he pretty much told the dude what he thought. We left there, went to the next place, and bought a YFZ450. And going from a 400DX to YFZ450 was a game changer. You know? Oh, yeah, of course it was. No comparison. Like, at the time, he had bought another Banshee, and he thought, like, my dad was super competitive too. Never raced, but he was the redneck that had the fastest four-way. Like, <laughs> dude, like, I'm not kidding. We go home and drag race these things on the highway. You know, like, <laughs> and, like, again, when I was – which Mike remembers. He remembers when I was, like, 16. I was literally – when I got my license, I was four foot eleven. So, at this time – I was literally four foot tall. So, like, we go out there, and I mean, I smoke him on this thing. Like, you know, he's got this banshee all chromed out, and he's so sad. My point forward, like, dude, we would go like wind rock and stuff, and, you know, like, it's so redneck, but I'm talking anybody that passed, like, it's like, dude, you want to race? So, like, everybody, like, <laughs> I was smoking everybody. I think that was kind of the turning point where I realized, like, I liked racing. So I still race that thing on the track or anything. But, right. I just, like, we started hill climbing. I made a bunch of friends doing that. And what's crazy is we actually, like, I, I made friends with a dude that owned a Suzuki shop. And it was actually the same guy that, even when I met Mike, that's where we were still, that's where we bought the Suzuki's, but he okay. somehow managed to talk me into trading that YFZ in on a Z400. <laughs> and I, again, I did no kind of racing, but they covered all parts and labor. So oh, all wow. I had to do was ride his, this Suzuki in the woods and wreck it, and they would fix it just for, for no reason, really. And that's kind of where it all started. And like, you, weren't, you weren't even racing at that point. No, I didn't race anything. The guy's name was Charlie Stewart. He owned Extreme Power Sports. He actually, since then, like probably five years ago, he, he had a motorcycle wreck and died. Like, it was a super bad deal, but oh, wow. he was a good dude. Like, and that's kind of, I guess, if I'm going to work my way into racing, I ended up trying to jump the highway on that Z400. Like, down in my hometown, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but it's the only time I've ever really been hurt. I mean, I broke a bunch of bones, but... I tried to jump the highway, like, you know, Z400, 14 years old, fifth year tap. And so I wipe out and it like breaks my lower back, my pelvis, my sacrum, and had a bunch of internal bleeding and stuff. So I was in the hospital forever. Like, oh my three, gosh, three weeks to a month, had to get homeschooled. And while I was in the hospital is when we decided that if I was going to be jumping stuff, like it needed to be somewhere where it, needed to be jumped and not you know not at my buddy's house jumping the highway like and that's how we kind of worked into racing local races so that was the most tennessee thing that i've ever heard dude i'm telling you it's insane but it's the truth like all that happened in like two years and it was awesome like and it, so, it was cool that it worked into what it worked into yeah well you know tragedy strikes and you get the quad stolen and that's how you kind of get on this path and then another tragedy strikes by you getting hurt and <laughs> go figure that's what starts this whole thing that's crazy yeah, it was a cool deal so then, um, so then I guess, take me from when you're in the hospital and you guys decide that you're going to take this thing to the next level and, and, uh, you know, ride something that's capable of, you know, what you're trying to do with it. So what happens from there to get you to racing local races and, and kind of finding your footing? Uh, we bought wheel spacers for that Z400. 
That's when they got serious. Like, oh my God. And then I literally, that's how it happened. I can't remember if it would have been spindles or what it was, but like I signed up for the beginner class. We had a local track called I 40. I actually jumped Mike's hybrid when I first started racing, like back in 2012. I jumped his hybrid into the creek at I 40, but that's where I started racing. Okay. Like, so like I, I just started racing beginner class, you know, you weren't allowed to do the doubles. Like, so all my hill climbing buddies, you know, once I decided I was going to race, they pretty much all signed up with me. So it was just a big friend environment. And then I don't know, I raced the beginner class for I'd say five or six races and I got tired of smashing into the backside of the doubles. So we just kind of moved up from there. We signed up amateur class where I could start jumping and okay. That's where it kind of just moved on. That 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 YMZ had uh, cross country tires on it. Oh, dude, I get yeah. it, dude. Right up the Mile Alley. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say he's he's from Tennessee. He's been in the backwoods rock climbing his whole life. He uh, he doesn't dude. care. He's just gonna run it. Yeah, dude, and that, and then really like you know like my Suzuki's for that 07 season. And we'll get into this, but like this was one of like Mike talked about his our head button, but it was that was a big part of it. Like the whole 07 season, like I, you know, that's the first time I had ever bought aftermarket suspension. Like, but it it was completely stock hard parts. Like so, A arms are stock, swing arm stock, and it had like an Elka back shock and Fox front shocks, but. That whole year, like, I did really good for what I had. And, like, I don't remember anything about the 07 season other than, you know, like, I pulled a few shot starts in A-class or, like, I won some races. But I remember going to Sunset Ridge, and my mom and dad are the complete opposite. Like, you know, they could they would prefer it if I would have been in the back of the pack. But <laughs> I wanted to sign up Pro-Am. I was like, I, I think I can beat some of those guys. Like, you know, I might as well sign up. And again, at this time, I am tiny, like little bitty guy. But I remember lining up right beside him. Me and Clay are friends now. You know, there was yeah. a couple of years there that <laughs> not a whole lot of people liked us anyway. Like, right. but either way, at this this was part of that time. You know, just because I was reckless and mm-hmm. was, I was just a little wild when we got out there. But I remember pulling the start on like Greg G, Clay Holmes, <laughs> and you know, I'm leading those dudes around the track. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, like you know, I could possibly beat these guys, which obviously they passed me, like, mm-hmm. first little bit. But it was just a cool thing, you know. Like, we had just been really in it for, in my head, a few months. Like, and I still didn't ride that often, you know, just because we could only ride at tracks on the weekend and stuff because mm-hmm. we weren't full-time training. But that's when I realized, I was like, you know, they're faster than me, but – at the same time, they're not that much faster than me. Like if we took it a little bit serious, like we could smoke these guys and and from what and from what you're saying, your bikes are like apples to oranges, you know. Oh dude. Yeah. But like again, we'll get into that. But that was hard to change. That was hard for Mike to change. <laughs> like it was insane. But so so Mike so Mike, did uh did was there ever a, a time period at early on there where you're like, man, like this kid doesn't doesn't know better than to just pin it everywhere. Like, are we biting off more than we can chew with him? Well, no, I felt the exact opposite. I was like, we got a guy. I mean, and and, and, and honestly, 
just talking, just seeing Cody again and seeing him talking. And I know a lot of time's gone by, but I am pumped up. Like, <laughs> he's I the same. He's up. the same. He's the yeah, same guy. Like, like I, I didn't forget about Cody, but Cody is the only Cody. Like mm-hmm. this man is, I don't know. We're speaking to a legit, a legitimate legend here. Like, yes. like this dude is, he's unreal. And I knew, you know, like I said, we went to that track and I, you know, like I said, I, I told the, the, the story of the belt buckle and, and this dude with this long hair and this accent. And it was just, it's like a superhero, you know? And, and we went, and I, and Nate had heard, like I, t- like I said before, Nate knew of Cody and I had seen Cody at Loretta's and heard the hype, you know, like there's this kid, there's this little kid on this, LTR with with all stock hard parts and Fox shocks and he is super fast you know so but no I felt the exact opposite like I felt like with you know so like Wayne Henson used to tell the stories of Jeremiah Jones how they had to try to get him to slow down I mean I felt like this this guy was like going to make some serious waves in the in the industry and who better you know what type of better combination to come together like here we are, you know, not knowing if we're racing or not racing, but we had credentials. Cody was like this uh, unpolished, you know, diamond. Mm-hmm. And it was like, dude, this is going to be sick. You know, we were pumped as a as a shop, as a team, as a family. We were really excited to have Cody. I mean, the first, first, first time he rode, I'm like, this is too easy. Like, he's on this YFZ with 20-inch tires. One of them was probably flat. For, you know this is the you know handlebars are bent this that and he's just he's scrubbing like john natale was you know and he's 16 years old you know it's really crazy it was it was times you'll never repeat you know my dad said a long time ago you know you can you know you can have a great time and you can try to repeat that time and it'll never happen mm-hmm. it was just it was just one of this these this era in my life that is well, you know, you can't compete with it. It was, it is what it is. It was one of some of the best times of my life. When I showed up and wrecked the whole entire pro-am field, you know, <laughs> the second moto of Pell City, like, you know, it was a disaster, but at the same time, like in my head, like we set this tone that, you know, from that point forward, again, I never wrecked anybody on purpose that I can remember. But at the same time, everybody knew that you did not want to be in front of me, like <laughs> unless you could legit outrun me. And that was cool. Like, you know, it, it was it was cool to me. I was a kid, so everything was a race. Like, you know, like I, and I'm sure that was a big part of it. I was a young kid, just wide open. But, you know, I didn't have a slow speed, so they would rarely let me ride over there. You know, Mike would always call for me. But at the same time, like they'd always come up with some excuse why everybody else could ride over there, and then Cody couldn't, which is okay, and I don't blame them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sure, I'm sure I'd get over and wipe out, and but it wasn't gonna sue anybody or anything. But it, it was just a thing. Like, so it, it was just cool to me, Mike being out there every day, and again, like we broke a lot of parts. Like, I mean, that thing, Mike would put that thing together one night, and I would literally total it the day after. You know, like. And that was a thing, like, and it happened all the time. And, like, we were talking about switching the parts. This is the thing, like, Mike said we butted heads. Like, I can still remember. And, like, it, like I thought about it earlier. I was like, what am I going to talk about? You know, my racing career is so short. Like, 
So I was like, I ain't gonna have enough to talk about. And then I started thinking about that 08 season. And I remember like Mike, you know, like I come in one day and because he has the connections he has, we've got like brand new PEPs, brand new Axis Airs, brand new Axis Spring Shocks, like anything you can think of. So he starts putting this crap on my bike with his A-arms, his swing arm. And dude, like I go out there and ride it. And I'm like, Mike, I think you should just put my stock stuff back on and put the stickers <laughs> on it, dude. Like this crap, I can't make it work. And dude, this was a week long thing. Like I'm talking so, I was so aggravated. And finally, Mike just had to put his foot down. He was like, dude, if you ain't going around my crap, you can go home. Like when we showed up to that race, I had no other goals than to smoke everybody. Like, and that literally, like, I, I'm not just saying that to sound cocky. Like, it really, I had no other goal than, I remember the gate dropping. Best case scenario, I pulled the start, and I did exactly what I went out there to do. And I remember Bowen won his, and me and Mike are sitting at the trailer. And, you know, even back then, everybody had big rigs. We're in a normal trailer. Yep. And I knew before we ever went and looked at it, I was like, I am the fastest person on the track. Like, there's no way that anybody is going faster than me. And sure enough, like, you know, we go over and check this stuff out. And, dude, I am so excited. You know, everybody, you know, there was a lot of little races up to this point. So we had some people that wasn't super happy with us, like, just because I get close to people. But I remember, like, we do that. Again, we smoke everybody. Like, I'm so excited just because I just won Pro-Am. I'd never even – you know, you said I finished fourth earlier in 07. Don't really remember that. But this next year, there was so many more people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for me to go out and just, like, kill everybody, like, it wasn't, it wasn't expected by anybody other than me. Like, I knew I was going to do it, but nobody else was sure. Like, they had no idea. But I remember, like, the probably the highlight of my career. I hate that everybody wrecked. It's just something that I remember. I remember lining up for that second moto that day. And, you know, all the best guys are lined up beside me. And still, I don't know any of these people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're to me, some of them still famous. I remember Thomas Brown rode with Weenan, and I was like, oh, that's a freaking cool dude. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the gate drops. I, I pull a couple of bike links immediately because I didn't weigh anything. Well, about halfway up that hill, I remember that thing starting to wheelie, and I did not know what to do. Like, I could not let off the gas. And it just gets higher, higher, higher. And before I knew it, I let off and there's people all around me. So I just take out half the field. Like, you know, there's people flipping everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting cussed out from every angle. Like, there's somebody cussing me every which way I look. And I just remember getting back on the bike and I didn't even let it phase me. Like, I was half a track down and never lifted. I rode wide open from the time that I got back on it. And I still was way behind, but I just remember I turned, if I didn't turn the fastest lap of the race, it was right there with it. And I just crashed everybody in program. You know, I got ran over everything else, but that to me, that was, that was the turning point. I was like, you know, like I'm here now, like everybody knows that I'm coming to win. And from that, you know, the rest was history from there in my eyes. Any time that I lined up, I knew that I was going to win. Even if I didn't win, I knew that I was going to win, like, before the gate ever dropped. I was like, you know, like, even if somebody was in front of me, that was my big thing. Mike is the one that taught me that. 
But if you go back and watch any of my videos, I wouldn't follow anybody. You know, like everybody knew if I was behind you, you heard me. Like I was going to be figuring out a way around you. And that's, you know, that turned into a thing in itself, you know, throughout the season. I think, I don't know when the next race was, but I know that that's back when Smitty was still doing the announcement, but they actually brought us up in the booth and told us they were going to kick us out of AMA if I touched anybody else. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, like I never intentionally hit anybody. It was always just <laughs> like, it was insane. Like, cause I was so little and I was racing all these guys were so much bigger than me, but right. I wasn't scared of anybody when I was on that four wheeler. Like if I, again, if I touched somebody and knocked them off the track, I felt bad. But at the same time, like, it, I never thought about it beforehand. Like, I never was like, you know, I touched this guy. He's going to be mad. Like, it never was that. It's like, how am I getting around this dude? Like, once he's out of the way, like, I'll worry about that later. But, and I, I think that's what, like, I, again, I think that was a huge key to my success is, you know, of course, my parents, Mike, but also just, I had zero fear when I was riding. That was always my big thing. Like, I was like, dude, these dudes have been doing this way longer than me. And, you know, like, we're out here cleaning house. Like, I could care less about a championship. And that's really the way I thought. As long as we were winning races and people were pumped to watch us go out there. Like, you know, because no matter, you know, what I say, like, it definitely made me feel good. Like, I knew, like, you know, when I pulled up to the gate, everybody was coming to the fence. And most of the time, I was probably the – watch me crash real bad and I was fine with that like you know I was all about it if that's what it took I mean obviously it would help to race throughout your whole life but if it you know if it wasn't your thing and you're coming in I mean we definitely between me Mike and my parents we definitely proved that you only need about two years to get up there and win pro-am like that is for sure so Cody tell me about that year do you have any uh like races stories anything that stands out about that year on the Kawasaki I can remember uh a race or two with a pesky little guy who had just moved up to the pro-am class named Joel Hetrick uh Steel City maybe Unadilla stands out I think to me but do you have any stories or races from that year that stand out Cody uh, there's like for me that year, like, I don't remember a ton. I remember Birch Creek. Like, I can't remember what we did. I, I don't, I know I wrecked on the big triple real bad and we fixed that. And then I can't remember what happened to the motor, but we ended up blowing a motor and Mike worked like crazy. And in my head, he put it back stock. Like, it seemed like maybe they gave him a stock head and a stock jug and all that stuff. And I, I remember we went out and still won. And like we were way under power at well, that rate. Well, yeah. So what Cody's talking about is we broke we broke uh, we broke a valve, and uh, and when we broke the valve, we uh, we bent the rod. Oh yeah. <laughs> so okay. you know, me and the crew worked real hard, and we had to we straightened the rod with like oh another gosh. rod and, and and raced it anyhow but yeah cody's right we didn't have our good head we didn't have our good stuff we had wiped out a bunch of it and 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 we 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 won or we raced that race and did you know superior with a bent connecting rod you know obviously we straightened it as good as we can we could yeah, yeah. you know but we didn't have I mean, we were factory su supported. We were a legitimate factory supported race team, yeah. but that didn't mean we had 
just parts coming out, you know, of all corners. And that didn't mean we had good parts coming out of all corners. We had, we did have access to good parts. We did have good parts, but we didn't have a ton of them. So we had to make what we, we had work and we, and it was a time crunch, you know, straightening the rod, making the Tennessee faithful proud, just slamming that thing back together. <laughs> yeah. It was hilarious. <laughs> Your perspective didn't change after Loretta's though. Like that next season, you were still going to win, even though it was a, you know, the debut didn't go that great or whatever, but your rookie season as a pro, you were going to win. Absolutely. And, and, and again, like we can, like I got, we could pull up dates like Luke, may he like yeah. to look it up films. Like he could tell you, but I think it was up until six weeks before the race, seven weeks, mm-hmm. I had full intentions. And as far as, you know, I didn't have Mike behind me, but we were somewhat making it work. Like, you know, like in my head, like I was trying to make it work yep. and it was completely, completely, throughout my whole shoulder so so tell me about how the mution thing came together then um because you know that was a that was a privately funded you know deal there you're back riding suzuki's um tell me tell me tell me about that deal because and i actually just posted it but this is the period you know with the the infamous photo you know with that glue shot with the state in the background so tell us about how that came together and then we need to hear the story about that that photo we need to hear about that as well dude like that whole year was just like to simply play hey it it seems like a circus from over (laughs) over here but no dude like scott first off is awesome like he actually helped me and mike on the hybrid year like okay. he, he, he funded some money mike or, or scott is a super good dude but that was more of a rea- reality tv show than it was a race program like dude like he like his big thing is like dude we gotta go to the gym go get our tan on you know like <laughs> we are just doing all this stuff and i've never been a super trainer even 2009 i want to bring it back up but me and mike used to go to pax like down there in daytona yeah like yeah. we would train you know so hard like you know I, that was me out there just jumping the jumps doing hill clickers we would leave there <laughs> go to the crispy cream get hot donuts and then we would go to the steak and shake and get a milkshake and that was like our dinner like for for our hardcore training and that's the way i've always been like i've never changed that so i had joked with mike uh when we talked on the previous episodes that my title hopes cody were dashed you know back in november (laughs) november december you know when we heard that you were gonna return so so 2012 was my first full race, uh, for full season back at the nationals. It was my first full season on a big quad at the nationals. And I had people in my corner who are very reputable people to this day, still around ATV racing saying, you know, I get the talking to me, I get the starts, you get the starts that are needed, you know, beat a guy like Cody Gibson, you're fit. You know, I think, you know, you're the kind of guy that could take them down. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, Cody, I think my biggest mistake was that I truly didn't even believe that myself. I've cut, I've cut, from, <laughs> cut from a different cloth than you are. Um, but I came out at the opener. So I came out at the opener and I was fast qualifier at, in, at, uh, Aonia in, in pro-am production. And I'm like, holy shit. And I could tell like, you had a problem. You were like 10th or 12th or something. So I knew, knew there was an issue, but you know, I got my hopes up. My hopes were up for a very short period of time. And then after that, you were in the league of your own for the rest of the season. Uh, but I still believe to this day um, that I've never seen anyone 
on the national scene dominate like you dominated those pro-am classes that season it was it was prolific and I don't know like for people that weren't around then I don't even know how to put it into words how dominant you were you wrecked all of us you wrecked everybody it was incredible incredible to see like honestly I got my ass kicked and I still feel like I was a part of history that's how prolific it was no, but again, that that's awesome. And I loved like all y'all, like I, I can actually remember, like I'll come back to the 2012 season, but I, I can remember when you came, like, just so you know, like, I, I don't remember which race it was, if it was 07, 08, 09, I had to have been 08 or 09, but I, mm-hmm. I just remember like your name coming to a national at some point. Sure. And then again, it may have been the start of 2012. I, I just remember like you had hot behind you as well. Like, you know, it's like, you know, dude's coming. Like you got to make sure, you know, cause that was everybody's thing. They come in there, you know, you've got right. to beat this guy. You've got to beat this guy. Again, I never would say that, but like in my head, if we ever would have went pro and ran that, mm-hmm. like there would be no excuse for me not to do good. You know, obviously I can't say I would go out there and smoke those guys. Cause that's unrealistic. Those guys are unreal. They're, they're more fit than I ever would be, you know, for two laps. I will say that I'd probably smoke them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I'm just kidding. But, but for real though, like I feel like if me and Mike would have signed up, you know, the 2013 season, yeah, and, you know, it would have been a lot different, but at the same time, because of how I went out, I feel like it was the best thing that could have ever happened. You know, like, mm-hmm. Cody Gibson's this big, huge thing, but at the same time, really, I wasn't. You know, Pro-Am is awesome, and, like, those guys are unreal. But at the end of the day, I didn't do that much. I just wrecked all the time, and, you know, I put on a good show. Like, that was all that it was, and it's turned into this thing that hopefully the rest of my life, you know, I can look back on and be like, you know, I at least made a dent, like, Mm -hmm. You know, people are going to, at least our people are going to remember me for that. So, it, I mean, it's a cool deal. So, sure. so you could remember it uh, as people coming to watch you wreck or whatever. I think Mike and I both know better. So that season alone, you had 18 overall victories, 37 moto wins, and the two Pro-Am National Championships. Man, what did I tell you? We hope you enjoyed our best of Digging Deep in 2022 episode as much as we did. Major thanks to all of our guests this year. Thanks to producer Dallas Jansen, my brother, for all his hard work. Thanks to Brooke and AMA official Harv Whipple. Thanks to all of our donors, Holly Trimble, Rob Bumsteiger, Justin Branham, Casey Otis, and the rest of you. We appreciate you so much. Thanks to all of our partners, CSD Tires. Go to shop.csdtires.com today. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew. SSI decals, DID racing chain, Namira technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV components, Impact Solutions, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, the financial advice of the Haymower Financial Group, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Factory 43, Binkies Forever ATC Museum, Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant, Walsh Racecraft, and Manscaped to get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Support the brands that support our show, and don't forget to use those codes to save. You can find it all on our website, and be sure to click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner for all your gear and parts needs and to help us out. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening.
All of our show merchandise is available at shop.diggingdeepatvmx.com, so check that out. And if you're looking for another easy way to help support us, visit our website and click the Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee buttons. This allows you to set up a one-time or monthly contribution to support our efforts like some of the individuals that we highlighted earlier tonight. If you want to help us create a little content this off-season, you can give us a call using our voicemail line, give us your reaction to the show, some interviews, the races, hot takes, anything that you want to talk about this offseason we'd love to hear from you and play them on the show reacting to what you have to say that number is 920-569-3519 we want to hear from you so give us a call guys follow the show on social media digging deep atvmx podcast and myself cody jansen for additional content coverage and more fun stuff this offseason it's been a crazy end to 2022 for us with Brooke and I getting married, moving our race shop from a location that we've been in for the better part of 25 years to a new one and all the other craziness of life in general. So it's been crazy, but we have all kinds of big things planned for the start of 2023. We've got a lot of big interviews and big time guests coming up. So stay tuned for that. There's a lot of stuff coming up. We're going to start hammering out these episodes like crazy to kick off the new year. You can find us on Apple. Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. All episodes, additional podcast providers, sponsor links, and discount codes, show merchandise, fantasy info, and more can all be found on our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com. So check that out today. Be a friend, tell a friend. Please download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And with that, For Brooke Catherine, Dallas Jansen, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen. Thanks for listening to and making us the most listened to podcast in ATV racing with more than 191,000 downloads last month in 100 total countries in 100 episodes later. Until next time, thanks for joining us in digging deep with the stars of ATV motocross. Thanks for spending 2022 with us. 2023 is going to be even better. Things are crashing and burning here at the Digging Deep Podcast, much like the Titanic. Those guys were hauling ass, for real. I remember watching Doug Gus, I don't know who it was, Steel City, running the same times Friday afternoon as James Stewart was on Sunday back then. It was mental. I've never seen quads go that fast. Quadlers are freaking gnarly.